Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here on INC Live for the UFC 293 preview show. My name is Carl Birmage and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the Peyton Royce to my Biddy K. He's my friend and yours. It's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining us. I'm glad to be here, and I'm very, very happy to be the Trent Beretta to your Chuck Taylor. The best friends in AEW. Congrats on them winning at, uh, at Wembley. What and was it, like 86,000 people or something like that? They, they broke the WrestleMania 32 record. This It's technically the biggest attend, attendance for a wrestling event ever, I think they said, which is phenomenal. I watched that card late. Really good, actually. Um, but I'm glad the Peyton Royce one. I had a I had a big thing for her back in the day. I will gladly take Peyton Royce. Yeah, I, uh, um, I needed to think of some kind of Australian double act. So, of course, for the Iconics, so... Mm -hmm. I don't know whether or not you agree with that one, Joe. I like this. Yeah, I should have done Aussie Open, honestly. They're a tag team right now. They certainly are, yeah. yes. We're making yeah. all these sort of Australian references, though, because we are back in Australia for UFC 293. Ironically enough, UFC 193 also taking place in Australia. The scale of this one, though, is a little bit smaller. We are at the Sydney Quad Bank Arena, which I believe hosted the boxing events for the 2000 Olympics. You can tell I've been doing my research here with INC Live. And I have to say, Joe, we often talk about this when it comes to these international shows. Obviously, over the uh, past few uh, months, we've been to Singapore. We had the London card, which was in July, and the pay-per-view, uh, which was UFC 286. And we often seem to go along the same sort of issues when it comes to these cards, which is you'll get a title fight, maybe a marquee core main, and then the rest of the card is scrimping a lot. And I understand that a lot of American-based fighters don't want to travel like thousands of miles over to Australia to compete. But I feel more than ever, this is probably one of the most extreme examples of the UFC sort of cashing in on the one big main event fighter and just not caring about the rest. Yeah, this, this card was... Uh, it's not it's not as stacked. Lacks a lot of consequence. Uh you know, something we've said a couple times before, like what like what constitutes a bad card is bad matchups play a part into it. But a lack of consequence is a, another sign of it. And uh, there's no way to know if this is a bad card or not yet, you know, obviously. But, you know, it's it definitely doesn't have the name value and high stakes that you want from your eighty nine dollars or eighty dollars, however much it is now. So that's a, that's the thing that throws me off, because. I'm seeing a couple of fights on the main card, which I wouldn't be willing to pay money to watch. And that's no offense to the fighters themselves. I'm just thinking, what are the relevant, important fights that make me want to pay money to tune in? Mm -hmm. There, I remember, I think it was, it was in the FU Canada card. <laughs> <laughs> um, where a fight that was actually very good was uh, the Mike Malott fight. And uh, I, lo I love how they pitched it beforehand as like as they're coming out, because it was the incredibly odd duck on the card, if you look at it. And they claimed it was part of Dana White's new idea. If you know, you know, like if you know or if you don't know now, you know, kind of thing where it's like we're giving opportunities to these up and coming guys. So now you know who they are. OK, sure, sure. But why not do that on the prelims? Yes. And it's almost like, as if it's... You, the framing it almost as if Dana is doing us a favor by 
giving these lackluster fights main card pedestals. Yeah, and it's like, you're welcome for paying a lot of money for this card. Hold on, like, that's not how this works, like, kind of thing. It's it's very typical of the man, I'll say. That's, yes. I'll leave it at that. Yes, uh, the UFC are going to be under a lot of lawsuits over the next couple of months. We don't want to get ourselves involved in one ourselves. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I don't do good uh, under pressure in court. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I'll spill the beans. I'll spill the beans on this whole operation. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing that does give us cause for optimism, though, is that yes, two ninety three doesn't seem like it's going to be the best card of all time. However. Mm. Tradition normally says that the UFC usually put their eggs into the final quarter of the year. So in October, we're going to be back in Abu Dhabi. A lot of big names have been announced for that one. 295, we've got Madison Square Garden. And the UFC did like to try and make a big deal about the December card. There's potential rumours that could be Conor or another big title fight, potentially O'Malley's first offence. Uh, so the UFC, they are maybe scrimping a little bit now, but you expect them to go full pelt between October and December. Yeah, I mean, because the next card, uh, the last two fights on that card look fantastic to me, you know. Um, I, I mean, who doesn't want to see Charles rematch Islam after uh, the, the performance? Poor Benny, but the performance he put on against Benny. So, you know, <clears throat> it's it, that that one's exciting. Uh, I'm sure I'll talk about it more when we, when we get to November, but I'm, I, I've recently been getting into religion lately, praying and hoping for the return of Stone Cold Stipe to not just beat, but put John Jones out. Like that would that would make my year if that happened. Um, but obviously, you know, other good fights on there. I think like, like I think I think they announced Mackenzie Dern's going to be on that card. Yeah, versus Andrade. All right, sounds like a good one, actually. Like that would be good a stylistic set. nightmare for Dern a few um, months, a few years ago. But with the way Andrade yeah. has been fighting recently, you you wouldn't rule out uh, Mackenzie getting the win. Yeah, and McC- Mackenzie's, you know, uh, she's been like improving and stuff like that better. Every, you know, her becoming single seemed to have done wonders for her now, and uh, because it, it's done wonders for my confidence. Because uh, I, I'm I'm assuming she's going to call back any second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, 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 Mackenzie Dern is, uh, I, I think she's really improved legitimately, all jokes aside. And, um, I think I'm kind of curious how that fight's going to go. Cause I would love to see a return of the Jessica Andrade, honestly. Yeah. That good. also sounds fun to me. That's been one of the sort of like sub stories of the year. Like when people mm-hmm. will look back on 2023, I think one of the sort of things that stick in my mind is just what a bad year Jessica Andrade has had. Like, bearing in mind how she started yeah. the year, like, pretty much dismantled Lauren Murphy, and it's just been downhill since. Oh, yeah. the Her getting KO'd in the first round, and then I think Blanchfield got her in the first round, too, but that was, like, 10-day short notice thing. So there is some forgiveness there, I suppose, but uh, no, like, Jean Jaunan is, is who put her out in the first round, right? Like, yeah. her last fight, just... Man... <laughs> You know, what do, what do you do? We are doing everything but trying to talk about this card. <laughs> Is it working? 
We are no. here to talk about UFC 293. As you can tell, it's not the most star-studded card of all time, but we'll try and persevere, get ourselves a show, and maybe we might have a bonus preview show coming up on the channel in a couple of days' time. I will leave that there until the end of the program. For now, though, we are going to be talking about the prelims. You can see those on our screen right now. And obviously, being in Australia, you can expect a lot of Australian talent there and a lot of city kickboxing. Yes, there is. Uh, there's two guys on this prelims card that I have picked out, and I one of them I was like, "Wow, he's still on the UFC." Mean, but I, I thought I heard he got cut legitimately. And the other guy, he's pretty good. He's not bad actually. Um, and uh, two city kickboxing guys that I'm are going to, that were really uh, hyped up. I'm going to uh, take a guess on the first one of these, and I'm going to believe it's our prelim headliner, Carlos Olberg, entered the UFC. Largely, arguably, he was more noted for the way he looked rather than his actual fighting skill. He lost his UFC debut, which was a wild war against Kennedy and Chenzaku. Since then, he is on a four-fight winning streak, and he's taking on a guy I personally think is very entertaining to watch, Da Eun-jung. So I think we could mm. have potentially a fun matchup here. I think that one actually sounds really fun. Yeah, I, I, oh, I sadly always remember him for the loss to, for a, to, loss to Kennedy, but... Um, that fight's awesome, actually, though. But he, you know, he actually is good. He just kind of gassed out trying to put him away. Um, he's pretty solid. He he has a, a bad habit of keeping his hands low at times. But no, he's got great power, great finishing ability, um, a pretty solid striker. You know, he's city kickboxing, so kind of makes sense. You know, and uh, so that fight should be pretty good, I think. Yeah. Hopefully. And uh, and from Jun Jun's perspective. Um, it's a chance for him to try and get back to winning ways. He was on a great run of form. form. I think he won like 10, 11 fight unbeaten streak. He's dropped his last two, including a loss to Devin Clark, who Devin Clarked him. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah. So yeah. I think high stakes for both guys in there, because if Ulberg wins, he's on the verge of a top 15 place, possibly. Yeah. Had to put him against Jamala Hill next. No, just kidding. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, no, yeah, I forgot uh jung he got the wind he got uh he beat kennedy in uh in juku or how he's butcher his name uh how, how do you say it one more time and chinzuku and chinzuku my brain I, you know what's funny i can say injikawani perfectly like the chidi and anthony injikawani but uh, this one always gives me problem but yeah he finished him in the first round with elbows it was awesome and i was like oh this is the guy to watch and then next thing i know i heard he's just losing so I would love to get back to his winning ways because he's very fun. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think if Ulrich wins, he's probably knocking on the door. Oh, man, him and Khalil Roundtree could be fun. Ooh. Oh, right? Oh. Over Jacoby. Ulrich yeah, versus Jacoby, oh, that would be a good one I, as well. I, I, I really like Dustin Jacoby. I really like him for some reason. I can't tell you why, but he is awesome to watch for me. Um, he is one of my boys currently. He has earned that stable spot for sure. And uh, that fight would be fantastic too. And I think we're going to be talking about the second City kickboxing fight on the prelims as well. Is this last chance saloon for Blood Diamond? I I, I uh, didn't know he got a third chance if I'm being... I feel like I'm being mean here. I, I thought I heard he got cut. So I don't know if they re-signed him for this event. Um, I saw that he had dropped the two straight, so it wasn't like he won in the in the in like the middle. So, but I guess they're keeping him. Uh, I was very unimpressed with his last fight, and in the first fight, you know, he got taken down 
submitted. You know, he's a he's primary. He was known as a striker coming into the UFC, so it does kind of make sense that what happened to him, what happened to him, is similar to what I ironically thought um, would would happen to Alex Pajeda, uh, in a sense. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, well, let's see what his second fight is like. And I wasn't really that impressed, so this has to be the last chance. And uh, no matter how much the UFC likes you. The UFC really likes city kickboxing. They have a very, very good relationship with that gym and that camp. Um, you know, they seem to love that whole team. I, I, I would be very surprised if they kept him around. If he goes three and three, drops this next fight because of that. They'll probably tell him to go get more experience and then come back. You know, so I, if he's if he doesn't make it here, I think he probably could make another comeback to the UFC. But it seems like the last chance of this run. Anybody else on the prelims that takes your interest? Two guys that I think feels like the fight of who is the bigger boy, Jamie Malarkey and my Don McDessie. Yeah. He's in my stable, are... Jamie Malarkey. Because he always looks He's sad. Awesome. He's always got these really sad eyes. He fights, like, I feel mean saying this. He fights a little sad, too, because, like, I, I, I for some reason I think of him as, like, just doing this, like, a little scared and kind of, like, depressed. And then he'll just like, you know, throw like a whopping bomb on a guy and like rock him and stun him. Like his fight with Michael Johnson earlier this year was awesome. Like that's one of those just fights that gets swept under the rug. Don't let everyone forgets how awesome it is. Uh, that fight's awesome. And uh, John McDessey I've liked for a very long time. So um, he's probably, he's very much past this point, but he's always been like a little boy, a boy for me, you know, kind of thing. Remember his, uh, his lead spinning elbow or spinning back fist. He did it with his lead hand, which I had never seen before in a real fight. And I was like, oh, that's insane. It was so cool. Um, I think it was against Kyle Watson, who was a tough, uh, a tough uh, castmate at one point. But um, so I'm actually kind of excited for this fight. So because, you know, they're going to fight. They're fighting to get into somebody's stable. You just know that. And it's kind of exciting seeing it unfold in front of your eyes. Uh, speaking of Tough, uh, are you interested in uh, Landon Quinones, who appeared on Tough 31, was actually eliminated in the first round, yet he's accepted a short notice call to fight Nazrat Hakparast? Uh, who did he... Is 31 this last season? 31, yes. It was the uh, veteran yeah. versus prospects. And he was on the prospect side. I, I, I admittingly would like okay yeah he lost he's the guy who jason knight beat in the first round yeah i i i'm actually kind of curious how that's gonna go because i mean he's got a lot of ko's on his record you know he's a he's a finisher for sure and uh i could see him getting kind of controlled and beaten up on the ground a little bit but man if he pulls it off i'd be really impressed especially with some of the allegations that have come out lately about uh the last season of tough hmm uh, Kurt Hollibaugh, the winner for the lightweights, he recently said, I think it was like a couple hours ago, maybe that's when I saw it was he said that the, uh, team Connor, they had to skip like a ton of training camp because he just wouldn't show up half the time. And it's like, oh, my God, if that happened, those guys are really just fed to the wolves to deal with it. Like, so I, I kind of want to root for him because of that, like. Hey, I got kind of screwed over on on the show because of who picked me to be on his team. Uh, maybe I can, you know, do it the old-fashioned way. 
this might be the UFC's way of saying sorry. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. We're going to see all those prospects come in if that happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so before we move on to the first fight on the main card as well, a shout-out to uh, Kiefer Crosby, former Bellator veteran. He's ma making his debut on short notice up against a guy called Kevin Youssef. Um, I bring this up because there was a real sort of Irish invasion that Bellator had when they had, like, James Gallagher, mm -hmm. Liam McCourt all coming into the promotion. Um, a lot of people believe that the UFC are planning for an event in Dublin next year with Ian Gary main eventing, and Kiefer Crosby being signed to the UFC could fill that void as well. He just came off a win against, uh, is that who I think it is? Yeah, he just beat Dirty Cowboy on the regionals. Wow, UFC veteran Dirty Cowboy. Yep, Try Cal to, Cowboy try Oliveira, to... we should point that out. Yeah, yeah, Alex Oliveira, he's Dirty Cowboy. There's Donald Taroni, Cowboy, then there's Dirty Cowboy, as I call him, because uh, he's cheated and he's attempted to cheat in every fight. He tried, uh, he tried fish hooking and eye gouging. Um, Gunnar Nelson, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and then Gunnar ha hammered him in the elbows and got revenge. Yeah. Yeah, that fight's actually really good. <laughs> that fight's really good, too. It is. 231 in general is a great card. Like, I think no one talks it up as one it. of the retro reviews and nobody chose it. Nobody talks about how good that card is. It's, uh, there's like a... That's what I love about the retro reviews. Self-insert, you know, self-promotion here. <laughs> Please watch them. Uh, what is the... No, we don't get a lot of views on them compared to the other, you know, uh, types of videos on the channel. And uh, I would like if more people watched it, but I'm going to keep putting out the same level of quality content uh, that I like to do. Because I have a blast doing it. I got to rewatch my own, uh, like, uncut raw footage this week for a retro review coming up. And I, it's probably wrong to admit you laugh at your own jokes and mistakes but i was laughing on my own bloopers really hard it was really funny to me um but yeah like getting to like talk about cards no one like talks about or forgetting to my, my you know hidden hammers is like a, a thing i do now where it's like oh they, these guys who are you know no one talks about anymore but they had like crazy awesome fun careers you know chris lytle is probably the poster boy for that for that stable and uh like getting to talk about stuff like that, like oh, no one remembers how good that fight is. At two thirty one, that card is really good. No one wants to talk about how good it is. Like Jimmy Manoa versus Thiago Santos, that's a war. It's awesome. It is like, it's basically two guys in glass armor swinging sledgehammers at each other. And how is that not exciting? Like it's fantastic. Well, speaking of the light heavyweight division, that's where we're going for our first fight. And it's Tyson Pedro who will be taking on Sweden's Anton Turkali in our opening bout. Uh, Pedro comes in at a minus 150 favourite. You can get Turkali in at plus 120. Now, we've all made uh, quite rough predictions over the years when it comes to MMA. And one of the mm -hmm. worst that I made, now I have to admit this was back in what, 2017, 2018? I said Tyson Pedro would be a top five light heavyweight. Now, is this a guy who failed to live up to his potential or a career which was hurt by injuries? I think it's more injuries, and I still think he has his he's like his aged age is is you know it's a, it's like in the thirties, which honestly that's totally fine at two o five and heavyweight right that's my opinion um it's like the lower weight classes where like there's that thir thirty five curse. But 
um, his fight age isn't that bad. Like he he isn't like he doesn't have like all the years of wars on him. You know, like one of my favorites ever, Shogun Hua. He's not even forty yet, but he's really like ninety in like fight years. Um, so I mean, I think he still could be eventually like top ten. Um, I think he's got a lot of upside personally, but um, I don't know. I think it's mostly injuries, like time off, like he because it seemed like for a while he was getting as close as he could to beating guys and then randomly getting finished. Like, yes. I remember that's how what happened at the Shogun fight. That uh, OSP but, as well. Yeah. Because he had OSP him. badly rocked, and then uh, OSP managed to pull it back on the ground. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that he can probably put it all together. I mean, like, he lost his last fight to Modestus Bukakis. Always butcher that name, too. That's one, that's one. His name is fun to say, though. I love his first name. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, yeah, like, I mean... That guy's super underrated and super solid. He was only cut because he was like, oh, uh, my knee is destroyed from this Khalil Roundtree kick. You know, he wasn't cut because of how he was fighting bad, you know. And he just got caught with a totally legitimate kick, in my opinion. You know, it's the same way as getting, like, kicked in the face or landed, like, getting hit with, like, a haymaker. It just hits you in the lick, you know, kind of thing. But, um... That guy's super underrated and super solid, so that guy's probably going to be top 15, I would imagine, soon. And um, so, I don't know. I think I think he could probably ink his way back, yeah. though. I think he's still got time on the clock. And some notable wins as well on Pedro's resume already. So he's got wins over Khalil Roundtree in his UFC debut, Paul Craig, uh, Sapabeg Safarov, and the greatest fighter of all time, Harry Hunsaker. I knew you were going to bring it up. I had it loaded ready if you weren't going to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, Harry Hunsucker, you know. I, I will never forget us on the prelim show. Like, we we, we refuse to disappoint the Harry Hunsucker fans out there. <laughs> it was actually one of the hardest challenges I've done with that preview show was to try and sort of, like, say, look, you never know. Harry Hunsucker might have a shot at this. If he's going to win, this is how it's going to happen. We bro, we we actually did a really good job. I think not to pat ourselves on the back too hard because I don't want to break my arm trying to do it. But uh, <laughs> uh, I thought we did a pretty good job. We were both like, "Oh, we actually pulled it off! Wow!" <laughs> and um, but I mean, yeah, I I, I think the, I think the UFC likes him. I think they see upside in him, and so I think they I think they're doing a pretty good job making him the opener and taking on a guy that's lost two in a row. It's a winnable no, fight. Like, it's definitely a winnable, winnable fight for Pedro. Uh, mm-hmm. so we'll it's a talk, fight that he can finish, too. So. so we'll talk a little bit about Turkali here. 8-2 and two record. Um, as mentioned before, so he got in through the Contender Series. Uh, he was also yeah. a veteran in the uh, promotion Brave. Went 3-0 there. Beat some pretty good competition in the process. Uh, but, of course, he's got into the UFC. He's dropped two in a row. He Vitor uh, Petrino, who was unbeaten going into that fight. And Gilton yeah. Almeida. Um, do you want to have a guess on how Gilton won that fight? I'm guessing he snap kicked him or push kick into a double leg. I'm guessing. Yeah. Same thing every time. On one hand, you have to respect it because it's like, well, if you can't stop it. But on the other hand, it makes you go, like, well, what else can you do? Like, what happens if, like, someone just says, nah, that's not working? Like, that's the thing. Like, a lot of people have a go at me for sort of, like, 
clowning Jilton for this. Like, I want to stress, look, Jilton seems like a lovely bloke based on what I've seen yeah. on social media. Yeah. And my, my frustration isn't with him. My frustration is with the heavyweight division being completely unable to deal with <laughs> the most telegraphed fighting style in the UFC. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's it's absolutely hilarious. He He's done it in every fight at the beginning of every round. And... Like, he did it to Rosenstruck, and I think he has Curtis Blades next. Now, that's interesting. I am really looking forward to that because I think Curtis Blades can stop that tape kick to double leg. I, I, I got to be honest. This is a meme that I want to continue for the next, like, couple years. Like, what if he's the guy who beats John Jones <laughs> with, like, a tape kick and a double leg? Like... It's like Tom Aspinall, Jailton Almeida, Almeida. He beat Tom Aspinall with a teep kick and a double leg, dude. Like, this is the greatest fighter ever with, like, this unbeatable strategy. Like, and then we see, like, this meta of MMA <laughs> come in where, <laughs> like, like, oh, my God, Brandon Moreno has really reinvented himself. He's really utilizing the, the teep kick into double leg <laughs> for his fifth fight with uh, Alexander Pantoja. Like, I think this sounds... I think that I want this to live on forever. I'm predicting him to lose, for the record, but I can dream, can I? <laughs> it just sounds hilarious, you know. <laughs> um, so, where do you stand on Takali based off the uh, fights you've seen of him so far? Uh, he, I, 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 I hate being this way. He comes across as contender series filler. You know, like, that's, like, a big critique I have of the Contender Series, where it feels like they're just using it to pump out fighters they can pay for 7-7, seven and seven, and they can get them on a 7-7 seven and seven contract, and then use them to kind of fill spots when they need it. And that's kind of the vibe I get with him. I mean, his two losses are to guys that are very, are like, one, you know, we, we just got done making fun of him, but Almeida is very good um, at at least seems like it in heavyweight. But, like, Vitor Petrino was unbeaten going into the fight. You can kind of cut him some slack. Um, I mostly remember the Almeida fight, and it, it's kind of hard to look good against him, admittingly. But, I mean, he's got decent wins on, on the regional scene. He has a 13-second spinning back fist KO. So, you know, he, he seems like he's much more you know, much more uh, capable on the feet in terms of, like, that to his ground game. So if we could have a really fun striking battle here because Tyson Pedro, primarily a kickboxer, um, with just thunderous kicks. So kind of seeing, like, I, I think that European kind of style of kickboxing that with, like, some submission training, I always think of, uh, oh, what's his name? Chas Skelly from back in the day. Now, there's and, a throwback. Uh, there's a hidden hammer. Oh, absolutely. One of my favorites ever. And uh, had the fastest submission win in UFC history for a while. And, um, but yeah, he, I like, it kind of reminds me of that kind of style. I think probably because they're both from the same country. I could be just me being, you know, American and dumb. But <laughs> uh, I, I think this could be a pretty decent little opener that I'm somehow paying money for. Yeah. 
Um, nah. from, from what I've seen from Takali, uh, one thing I will say is it's worth checking out the Petrino fight because that was on that that weird card where it was sort of a an apex card, but it wasn't at the apex because you were doing power slap. They had a, like a small casino in Vegas. It was actually a really good atmosphere. I thought that that to me is what the apex cards should be like. And oh, it was on this card. Yeah, that card's awesome. Yep, and. Um, Takali fights Petrino, and that's actually a really underrated fight. A lot of momentum shifts. I do think the judges made the right call. I think Petrino did enough to win it. Uh, a couple of things that stood out for me when it came to Takali is um, when it comes to fighting on the ground, I actually think his ground abilities are okay. The problem is I feel it takes a long time for him to calculate what he's going to do. Mm. So he's like, okay, I'm on the ground. I can see that his arm's there. I'm going to maybe think, should I maybe look into try and go for an armbar there? And by the time he's done that, Petrino's exploded out into reverse position. So I think, I think his decision-making on the ground, he's slow to react to sort of like the explosivity of his opponent sometimes. And I also think as well that he is very gangly. I can't see him ever going, getting down to 185. No. But he did seem quite... He wasn't as robust as what Petrino did. So I think maybe trying to bulk up a little bit might be something to maybe work towards. Because Pedro's stacked for this weight class. He is just like a little tank. He 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 has got, you know, when you talk about the look, that guy's got a look. You know, very big dude. Yeah. And it's interesting you brought up that Pedro, you thought that Pedro's main base was kickboxing. I actually think he's more effective as a grappler. Yeah. He doesn't just he does he I feel like he just doesn't do it enough. I feel like we mostly see him just start blasting away with kicks. Like at least recently, that's what it feels like. Yeah. He just wants to like let it rip with the uh, as I've now coined it in my head mentally, um that blunt force trauma yeah kind of style of kicking. You know, like maybe maybe it's the Harry Huntsucker fight and uh where he just kicked a hole in his stomach as hard as he could. That was pretty awesome, honestly. Um, but and I'm also very biased towards kicking. So. Yeah. I mean, the submitted Safarov, I think it was a Kimura, I think. So any guy who manages to submit a, a Russian grappler, but I think that deserves a lot of credit. Um, yeah. I think you got Paul Craig in a crucifix and just hammered elbows to him. So yeah. I think the issue isn't so much that Pedro is bad on the ground. I think his issue is trying to get his opponents there. It's one of the same mm. problems I feel Mackenzie Dern has. Like, we know Dern's an amazing jiu-jitsu practitioner, but the wrestling isn't up to scratch. I, I just thought of a pretty good comparison to this, actually. Uh, I'm not comparing him 100% to this, but he kind of reminds me of Carlos Condit, in a way. Whereas, like, Carlos Condit was a very good grappler and a very good striker. He had no wrestling, though, and... So that led into problems when a guy could just pick him up and fling him, you know? And because I remember Ilir Latifi just kind of grinding on him for like three yes. rounds. And OSP got him down. It's like, I feel like I wonder if his like weakness is guys who can like, who are have a good solid wrestling base. And, hmm. That's kind of interesting as well. About. Sturdy. Yeah. Yeah, but Bukeska is, is a sturdy dude. That's a good yeah. way to put it, honestly. Well, like, he's the a bigger guy. is the tank. Shogun was always known for how durable he was. 
So, mm-hmm. and those are two guys that managed to sort of survive the Pedro onslaught and ended up coming up with the win. Yeah. You know, and he and him getting a win on the ground against Paul Craig is big because uh, Paul Craig, you know, uh, <laughs> if I, I really wish we had the Ankalaev and Ryan Spann fight just because of your opinion on that. In what way? Uh, that Paul Craig was both their dads. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, Ank- yeah, Ankleya versus Jamal Hill. Yeah. Oh, Jamal Hill. Who do they say? That's what I mean. Ryan Spahn. Oh. It's because uh, it's because I was thinking of Nikita Krylov earlier today. I miss that guy. As every uh, normal male does. Yeah, like he's a boy. He's in my boy stable. All right, you know. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought of my boy stable today when I was looking at this card. Yeah. Um, who are you picking to win this one? I'm expecting a Tyson Pedro finish. Uh, you know, Anton has not been finished by strikes. That said, um, I think I feel like Pedro's pretty quick for this weight class. The villain wave of fight and the Harry Huntsucker fight have to stress not the best competition at all, except Harry Huntsucker. But um, villain wave is not like the best competition. But he he came across really quick, really powerful and dynamic there and he has his resume is very underrated honestly um and if you look at the four guys that beat him you know the shogun one you can just say he got caught osp was something at that time um he was kind of in that gatekeepery role alir latifi was always a gatekeeper but a very good one and uh, bukowskis is just super underrated i think uh so I, I think like his resume speaks more volumes to me, so I'm expecting a finish late first round, maybe early second round. I'm going to be picking Pedro to win this one as well. I think he has. He seems a lot more dynamic, and I can see more mm-hmm. ways for him to win the fight. I think if Takali is going to win, it's going to be standing, and I don't think that Pedro has sort of like the durability concerns to make me think Takali's going to do it that way. Where I do have some question marks though is. All of Tyson Pedro's finishes have come in the first round. If it yeah. does go into the second and third, does he start to feel that pressure of, oh, God, he's not going away yet? So I yeah. do have some concerns about that, but I am picking Pedro to win this one. And I'm going to say... I'm going to say second round. Okay. Yeah. I, he's fighting a pretty durable guy, from what I remember. And um, so it, it, it could be a case of, you know like just dominant losing momentum and then we go to the scorecards you know where it's kind of a closer fight than it should have been kind of scenario because uh um i like his cardio is always a question for me admittingly but my car i questioned cardio at 205 and heavyweight i'm very critical of the cardio at those weight classes you're going to have a lot of fun with this next fight then because we're going up to the heavyweight division and it's a rematch which is taking place here as Justin Taffer takes on Austin Lane. Uh, betting odds for this one, you can get Taffer at minus 230. Austin Lane comes in at plus 190. Now, this is a rematch which took place at UFC Jacksonville. You might not remember that one because it only lasted 30 seconds. Uh, Justin Taffer suffered a brutal eye poke. The referee had to wave off the bout. So, the UFC, I feel... Have done the right thing. They're rebooking this fight again. Um, this time in Toffer's hometown of Australia. However, it, again, we sort of bring up the same question we had with Pedro versus Takali. 
Is it a fight that should be on a pay-per-view main card where people have paid $80 for it? No. I don't... <laughs> no, I don't think so at all. I, I have a really hard time uh, trying to justify it uh, in, in my head, admittingly. Like, if I were play devil's advocate and say yes, then I feel like I'd be lying and uh, not a liar. <laughs> I, uh, I mean... This is like he—he's a contender. Like Austin Lane is a contender series guy. Justin Taffa has been on the main card of UFC fights before. You usually put him out there, like in the Parker Porter fight. You usually put him out there to go out and hey, get a get a really quick finish, get a get a knockout, or you run the risk of him losing a not very good fight uh, by decision. But you you typically put him out there so he can KO someone really quick. And then, okay, see, we, we got you your daily dose of violence, guys. All right, now to the rest of the card kind of thing. Um, so, like, I kind of understand it being here, but when you – you usually want to put him, in my opinion, on a card that's pretty good, but you just want that heavyweight kind of action on there uh, if someone's craving it for some reason. I don't know. Uh, I don't uh, – I mean – the eye poke was pretty bad, and I could see that making this fight pretty good. You know, kind of lighting a fire under him, making him mad, and uh, and you know, Tafa isn't the biggest guy. If I'm right, he's kind of a shorter guy. If I'm right, I mean, he he comes in underweight. He's six foot at heavyweight, which isn't huge. Um, he also has missed the heavyweight limit, which is always very exciting. He's the only uh, fighter in UFC history to miss the heavyweight limit. Yeah. Uh, I, I always think of Tim Sylvia because he missed it in another promotion, but you know, um, but uh, he's fighting a guy who is a monster, and I was like, what did this guy ever do? I remember looking this up when I was doing research, going, did this guy play any other sports? There's no way he's 35 and this big and isn't like a transfer from another sport. Yeah, he played American football. He was in the NFL for a little bit. Uh, I think for the Jacksonville Jags. Yeah, played for Tony Khan and uh, AEW, the Khan family. He probably fought CM Punk on the way out, knowing how that usually goes. Well, Punk real fights anyone these days. Yeah, he fought he fought Luke Perry's son someday. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> it was DoorDash trying to give me an offer because uh, I'm a heavy man. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I... I don't know. He's a big dude, and he has a very interesting look. And it, I, I got to be honest, I'm kind of rooting for him because uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, just, I like Justin Toffa, but uh, I kind of want a new name in a, in this division. I, heavyweight needs love, right? Like I, I feel like I say this a lot. Heavyweight, middleweight, and 205 need a lot of love. And uh, I would I, – why can't Austin Lane be a new – you know, like something in the division, maybe at least something exciting, something new, something different. Because I feel like when you yeah. have these unranked heavyweights, they all fall into a similar sort of like archetype in terms of like the physique and the way they fight. And yeah, I'm not going to say that Austin Lane's going to be like a future world champion or anything like that, but no. he's this tall, long, lanky striker compared to the sort of fat guy brawlers of like the Tarfers, the Jake Colliers of the world. And I think that mm -hmm. is something a little bit different. 
Where I'm interested when it comes to Austin Lane, though, is the journey he took to get into the UFC. Because if you do remember the mm. name Austin Lane, he was the guy that Greg Hardy fought in his UFC debut. And he got blown yeah. out the water almost immediately. Hardy, of course, yeah, went like on to series. Yep. Hardy, of course, went on to fight in the UFC, and we all know how his career played out. Lane, meanwhile, stayed on the regional scene, slowly started clawing his way back, eventually got another call to the contender series, and got into the big show. Around the same sort of time, Rick Hardy was on his way out. So I just love that sort of juxtaposition of how both of their careers went. One did it the right way, in my opinion. Yes. Like, because Austin Lane was brought in as a sacrificial lamb, another professional athlete, former professional athlete, coming in to a new sport, uh, not that much experience, and was fed to the Wolves. Because, you know, admittingly, Greg Hardy, it's heavyweight. No one looks good at heavyweight, really, until you get to, like, the top three. Um, sad fact, of, for, for in my opinion, at least. Um, and he was kind of just fed to that proverbial wolf as Greg Hardy looked relatively better and hit like a massive truck. He was a, a commodity that promotions wanted to sign because of his notoriety. They know fans are instantly not going to like the man because of his notoriety. And uh, UFC historically doesn't care about that. And so they they brought him in to you know build him in. And here's Austin Lane who worked hard, worked worked it all off and got back the right way by improving and being a becoming a more well-rounded fighter um i you know i, I it's like you said something exciting and unique because i'm gonna be honest i swear andre olofsky has decisioned chase sherman five times <laughs> like i i remember jake chase sherman and jake collier fought and i that was the first time I realized they're different people. <laughs> so, like, I was really scared if they touched, like, the fabric of reality would shift inward. And then it's like, oh, my God, you can't let these guys touch gloves. They can't let them fight. Like, they're going to break reality because they look they, – I thought they were the same guy. And uh, then it turns out, no, 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 Andre Olofsky did fight both of those guys. That wasn't a rematch. Oh. He beat you know? both of them as well, didn't he? Yeah, he beat both of them. I thought it was a rematch when I saw the second one. I was like, oh, yeah, he's rematching that guy he beat recently. No, it was – they're two different people. It, 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 <laughs> it's very embarrassing for me to say that because I you know, do the recaps, but totally blew my mind. Um, it, like heavyweight has that kind of problem right now. Um, you know, I say it every – I say it every favorite or like every preview show that heavyweight needs help. Why can't it be Austin Lane be a little bit of that help? You know, he's not going to be that world champion, but he's going to be something different and unique for fight nights. He's a 6'6", that guy that isn't a chonky boy, that has a very interesting story. I kind of want him to beat Justin Taffa here. As a fan, that's me. But um, as an analyst, I will spoil it. I don't know if that's happening. I've got Justin question Taffa marks as like well. Justin yeah. Taffa hits so hard. He knocked out one of the greatest fighters ever, Harry Hunsucker, with a head kick he blocked. You know, that's kind of impressive to me. Yeah. He hits so hard. 
Yep, um, I have done a little bit of research on uh, Tarfan myself here. So, 3-3 three three so far in the UFC. Now, his wins come against the greatest fighter of all time, Harry Hunsucker. Also has wins over Parker Porter and Juan Adams, which I think all three were finished in the first round. His losses, yeah. uh, Jared Van Dera, Jorgen DeCastro, which I believe was also a main card fighter on Australia show. Uh, I think yeah. he came charging in and DeCastro caught him with the uppercut. And oh, yeah. we, we always talk about these underrated, unknown fights. Check out, even though Justin Taffer lost his fight, him versus Carlos Felipe on Fight Island is a... That, like, we often mock the sort of fat guy brawls. That is one of the good examples of a fat guy brawl. That is so much fun. That was... Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I forgot about that fight, and then when I saw it, I, like, I saw pictures of it, and I went... I guess I'm researching this fight. You know why not? Like it was, it's so good. It's very fun. Yeah, it's a um, very fun one. As mentioned before, carries a ton of power. You can even see it. Like we, a lot of people mocked Tuffer for missing weight, but you could sort of mm -hmm. understand why. I mean, you look at the size of his legs. This guy is built like a truck. Um, striking yeah. defense isn't great, but he makes up for it with his durability, as we saw with the Carlos Felipe fight. Um, I am interested to see his takedown defense. It hasn't really been tested, and Lane being a defensive end, he has turned to wrestling time and again, so I'd be interested to see if that comes to fruition. The one thing I will say about Justin Taffer, though, he does carry a lot of power, but he's very one-note. He's a pocket fighter who fights at his opponent's pace. If Austin Lane turns up pace, he'll try and keep up. If he wants to slow it down, he's okay to fight there. So... He's okay fighting on his opponent's terms. And bearing in mind that Austin Lane is a guy who's going to want to try and stay on the outside, use his reach to try and pick him apart. That could be a little bit concerning from Tarpa's perspective. In terms of Austin Lane, I do have I do have some concerns over not so much his durability, but if you look at the guys who've beaten Austin Lane in his career, powerhouses who blow him out, who just overwhelm mm -hmm. him with power. And that's just in Tarpa to a T. I think one thing if I, I want to double check their reach advantages because I just not thought about that because Austin Lane is significantly taller. Could in theory Austin Lane just keep him out of that range? Yeah, that's a big reach. That's a six inch reach advantage. But man, you never know. I mean, because all the guy has to do is hit you. Yeah. You know, yeah. Dustin Tafa hits very, very hard. And the great and, Felicia uh, Spencer said six inches doesn't impress her. That's what she said, not me. Got me. I I <laughs> that got that caught me off guard so hard. That's that's <laughs> that's probably the hardest I've ever corpsed on the show, and I haven't technically laughed yet. Uh, but my face is hurting from trying not to. <laughs> She, she's a she's a great girl. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's all I got. Yeah, six inches doesn't impress her one bit, um, but it might impress Justin Taffa if he gets kept out of it. So, uh, I'm gonna get yeah, the imp I, I'm getting the impression you're leaning towards Taffa to win this one. Yeah, I I feel like he's just a safer pick. You know, like I, I feel like it's. I mean, Austin Lane might be maybe more skilled, and Justin Taffa is not very skilled at all. But he can't. He he technically does have like a 
they always say like a kickboxing acumen. I feel like that's just because people try to, you know, relate him to Mark Hunt. Um, but I don't know. I think it's, I think it's just a little safe to see Toffa get that KO in the first round. Yeah. Um, I, as a fan, I want to root for Austin Lane, but I'm picking Justin Toffa here. I put it this way. I think that Austin Lane has more of an upside as a fighter. I could see somebody with his physique and his style making something happen. But at this point in time, he's just far too raw to sort of iron out some of the flaws in his game. And I think Toff is going to exploit that. So I'm picking just Toff to win this one by knockout. I'm going to say late in the first round. Yeah, okay. I can see it. Um, one thing too, Toffa lately, he, you know, you mentioned his pace. Uh, he's been like really content just kind of just to walk in and see what's going on and then kind of match it. I wouldn't be surprised if, cause that's what led him to get the KO over Parker Porter. I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of how he gets it, you know, just Austin Lane trying to come in and because of the green and rawness of it and, uh, it being a heavyweight fight as well, just not, you know, leave, leaving himself a little bit open and just getting clobbered by some random bomb from Taffa. But on the other side, maybe Austin Lane just double legs him. Oh, oh my God, I, I got it. I think I know how Austin Lane wins this fight. Team kick the double leg? Yeah. Yeah. Gilton <laughs> Almeida yeah. has ruined MMA. Oh my god, he figured out this the code. It's like the Konami code of MMA. <laughs> yeah, I like this. <laughs> Only in heavyweight. Only at heavyweight. I mean, you say that until Brandon Moreno gets his title back that way. You know? Yeah. Good thing you're talking about the flyweight still, because we are talking about a flyweight bout. You saw what I was doing there. We had mine's finger like jaw. Yes, oh, we are yeah. talking about the flyweight division here. It's Manel Karp who is taking on a newcomer to the UFC in the form of Felipe Dos Santos. Now, Karp comes into this one at minus 340 favorite. You can get Dos Santos in a plus 280. Now, originally, this was supposed to be Karp taking on Kai Cara France. Unfortunately, KKF has had to pull out with injury. Dos Santos steps in to take his place. Now, Dos Santos was originally supposed to be uh, fighting on the Contender Series. His fight actually fell through. And the UFC still kept him on the books and have rewarded him with an opportunity to break into the flyweight top 10. Well, you said you watched him in LFA. You said he's really fun. He reminds me a lot of... Well, he trains with Charles Oliveira. And I think you could see a lot of his fighting style in uh, Dos Santos. So Charles, of course, likes to try and stay very upright, throw up the teep kicks, quite a high guard, sort of like that sort of Muay Thai knee coming up. Um... I would say he's a little bit more aggressive than what Charles is, which you can kind of sort of get away with at flyweight because obviously you don't have that sort of power in the same way that the lightweights and the welterweights do. Yeah. Um, with that though, he is still a little bit reckless, but he is very entertaining yeah. to watch. And he does have the same hairstyle. Um, his color. was blue, I believe. I think he dyed his hair oh, blue really? for his most recent fight. All the all the ones I saw, it was uh, like he had the white that white, like, bleach blonde kind of look. Is he going blue? That's a fun game. Like, change his hair color for every fight. I do love that sign of unity the shooter box fight guys have with, like, the dyed blonde hair. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't, I don't think it looks very good. Uh, I, I admittingly uh, like old Charles hair color more. Um, but I'm also like, I don't, I'm not really big on dyeing hair as a person. I don't know. It's, it's probably my personal taste. That being said, though, it only works in uh, individual sports because I remember yeah. there was, I think Romania were playing in the World Cup and all the players dyed their hair blonde and the commentator legitimately struggled to tell which player was which. Oh, my God. That's such, that's genius, though. The, their other coach is just so confused. Oh, my God. You, that's, that's the that's the teep kick to the double leg <laughs> of soccer. Oh, my God. That's a genius idea. Uh, <laughs> how do you how do you stop that? So I will say, yeah. like Felipe dos Santos, I think is a worthy addition to the UFC. Uh, obviously, seven and zero record, <clears throat> fighting mainly in Brazil, but of course had that LFA fight, which I think was his first fight in America. It's a strange one to make, though, given Manel Cop, because he was a guy who he made his UFC debut around sort of twenty twenty, I think. Uh, mm. dropped his first two against Pantoja and Nikolau. Both of those were disputed fights. Some people may argue the cop did enough to win that one. And since then, it's three wins in a row. So he's beaten Ordi Osborne, uh, Zalgas Salmagulov, I hope I got that one right, and David Dvorak. Mm. Uh, two of those being some quite brutal finishes as well. And then you add, in his, you add in his stuff in Ryzen where he beat Ian McCall, Kai Asakura, uh, Takaya Mizugaki. Mizugaki, uh, former Ryzen yeah. Bantamweight champion. So a lot of people after those first two fights thought he's this guy which came in with a lot of fanfare. He's not living up to it. Has the tide started to turn with Cop? Is he starting to justify the praise that he got coming into the promotion? I have a really hot take here. Yes. I think him losing those first two fights is the best thing that could have happened to him for this division. I can see where you're coming from here because the big issue that Manel Cop had, in my opinion, the reason he lost those two fights was inactivity. And since yeah. then, he's been a lot more forward. And he has been much more exciting. I think, I don't think he's, I, I think he's almost as good as people say he is, right? Like, you know, like you talk about the fanfare around him. I think he's almost that good. I think this guy is probably top five secretly in the division. Uh, I could see it. Man, he had a lot of fights pull out. Like Kai Kara France, you mentioned. Uh, Davis and Figueiredo was at one point. Oh, that would have been uh, unbelievable. If he stays a flyweight, they're going to book that. They have to, right? Like, that's a dream match. Or I want Figgy KKF, honestly. That's a dream match for me. Uh, Figueiredo and Kai Kara France sounds unbelievable. Flyweight's so good right now. Um, but this guy is really good. <laughs> uh, he's very quick, very good footwork. Not the best grappler, but pe very passable and solid in it. And he is lightning quick and accurate. He doesn't have that massive, you know, Figueiredo or Kai Kara France, you know, power that uh, bombastic power you could say but he is lightning quick and accurate you know just uh against zalagas Zuma, uh, Zuma Gulov, he cracked him with a shot realized he hurt him and just machine gunned him down until he finished him just kept slowly adding longer and longer combinations and it was so cool to see um you know the flying knee against Odie osborne was fantastic and i i i scored 
him losing his first two fights in the UFC, but I think it really helped him out, kind of pick up the pace, and I, I think re- I think relieving some of the pressure off of him to you know go out there and show that he's the man kind of makes it easier. It's like okay, I got to go in there with nothing to lose, just have fun, do my thing, you know, kind of having that kind of level of uh, of pressure on him is really helped him out because now he's just doing his thing and he's looked fantastic i think uh, i'm very excited very excited to see him in the future of the division and he's a in, rarity. not as the future and he's yeah. a rarity as well at flyweight in that he's a 125 of the packs power you seldom yeah. see that like i'm i think on my hand I, I can only think of like three flyweight fighters who you call sort of knockout artists and it's carp mm-hmm. biggie and john dodson Oh, I was going to say Kaikara France. I consider him a KO artist. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say KKF has sort of one-shot power. Yeah, I mean, the big one in my mind is uh, the Cody Garbrandt. No offense to Cody Garbrandt at all. Well, Cody's chin was going to be compromised at 125 anyway. It's it's a chinny Cody Garbrandt with an even chinnier weight class. Yeah, and I think, but the Bonterin is what I think of. When uh, when he KO'd him with the like straight right uppercut combination, and um, Herb Dean didn't stop the fight until they were announcing it was over. I I, I was, yeah I remember that one now. Yeah, uh, all the memes came out of Herb Dean's awful refing. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic, but yeah, Manel Manel, uh, Manel Cape almost said call, almost Manon, called him by you could have him on there. Yeah, you got you got UFC yeah. Paris on the brain. Oh, I'm too excited for it. Um, I'm actually kind of excited for it. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, Manel Cape, I think he's got that power, but, man, he's quick, and he's accurate. Like, you... It's kind of hard to say. I think you can argue he's might, he might be the best striker in the division. I don't know. I'm sure there's guys who would not like hearing that, or, like, not, not like, uh, would, would try and contend with that. You know, I mean, Brandon Moreno has turned into very. Got it. <laughs> Brandon Moreno has turned into a very. I'm, I'm like, I've been watching The Sopranos too much. I talk with my hands a lot, and uh, but Brandon Moreno has turned into a very good striker. Uh, Figueiredo has pretty solid striking. Um, then you had Kai Kai France, who's a very good striker. Uh, Manil Cape probably in my mind might have the best striking in the division, um, at least on a technical level. It'd be him or. Him and Moreno, I would probably pick. Most likely, Cape, I'd probably pick between the two. Even though I want to be biased and pick pick Moreno because I'm a fan. But I, I, he's so interesting. I, like, you know, we mentioned it with Austin Lane. You want that uniqueness to it. And this is that, that, that was talking about heavyweight, which isn't a good division. That we want that kind of unique touch to it. Here is a very good division. And this is that unique guy that is coming up into that upper rankings to, you know add some more flavor to it and, and he's I think brash it's very as well he's a talker and we know the ufc values that more and more these days he's a talker with an awful nickname i'm sorry i had to get that out there i i his nickname made me laugh when i first heard it uh, but uh, i don't know what it's a reference to if it is a reference to something but he is a very braggadocious it's a star boy character. isn't it star boy yeah. yeah and i i thought of i mean you think of the jeff bridges 80s movie starman you, um, um, you've actually reminded me as well. I should have brought this up when we talked about uh, 
Puffer versus Lane. That um, mm-hmm. Justin Tuffer's uh, nickname is Badman, and it makes me think of Hale Dakishi. I, I sent you that picture where it was the the Homer Simpson uh, "Do It for Her," you know. Do it for and, the rock. Uh, do it for the rock. <laughs> yeah, he did it for him. The best selling of a clothesline ever. Yes. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah, I love Rikishi though. Big big fan of his. Um, but. Have you had any chance to uh, look up uh, Dos Santos's, um portfolio so far? Yeah, I have it here, and I looked it up going into it, but I have it up next to me just as a reference because uh, my notes on it, uh, I was like, I, the big thing I had in my notes was, was like he he's kind of balanced in his how he's winning fights and everything like that, and it doesn't seem like he has an issue going to distance, so... I mean, no, like flyweights typically have a good cardio, but sometimes you'd be surprised. Sometimes there's a guy, you know, big finisher at flyweight, which he has finishes. You know, five of his wins are finishes. Most of his wins are finishes. Um, You know, sometimes you get those guys in there that seem to really gas out if they're having success at any division. And doesn't seem to have that problem. Solid grappler. Got, you know, got knockout wins. He has a lot of submissions. Uh, a good amount of submissions here for a guy that's seven and zero, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I th- oh he's young, oh my, twenty two years is, old. This this if this guy has a good showing, I, I hate you. Never want to, you know, you never want to predict like Tyson Pedro is going to be top five. You never want to do a move like that. I'm sorry, I had to. Uh, <laughs> I'll hold no, uh, I'm hold me on soap. Uh, no, hey, I listen, I. You know, I, I, I defended you saying I think he can still do it. I think you might not be wrong yet. But um I, I you never wanna I you never wanna like make a crazy claim, but if this guy has a really good show be a mainstay in this division. And as we're all we all love Charles Oliveira now. We do, you know? and it took a yeah. long time for people to really sort of but Charles Oliveira, I think people always liked Charles Oliveira. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he they ever loved him until I think the turning point was beating Dustin. Yeah. Because I think there was still a lot of people out there that thought, well, yeah, Khabib's retired. He beat Michael Chandler. It's a little bit of a paper belt. And then yeah. beating Dustin Poirier was the moment people realized, you know, he has actually just gotten that much better. Yeah, people hated him after he beat Tony. Rightfully so, I dare say. Um, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a good fight. It wasn't a good fight. No. And people, uh, but he people still him. wanted the Tony sort of experiment to happen. I mean, I, it, that's, a, that's a whole can of worms. That's, a, that's us trying not to talk about the card again. I just feel <laughs> it. <laughs> um, long story short, he shouldn't have cut weight twice. And that and getting pounded by Gaethje ruined him um, because of the weight Anyways, so the Santos. Everyone likes Charles Oliveira. <laughs> no, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not being this guy. Everyone likes Charles Oliveira. So, like, if you're describing him as this Charles Oliveira for flyweight, man, that sounds really fun. Especially if he matures into it, kind of like we saw Charles Oliveira. I mean, shoot a box isn't. Yeah, there was a point in time, you know, big pride fan here. For one point in time, I remember where Shooter Box was the fight camp. You see this happen all the time. There's always that one fight camp that just dominates for a while. You know, Shooter Box was it for a while, then AKA was it for a good period of time. Militich in the early years. 
Militich as well. Uh, we had the American Top Team takeover Jackson that long Wink. ago. Jackson Wink had a really long run at the top. Um, I know Matt Hume's team only really had Mighty Mouse, but I always respected them. Team Quest had a great run for a while. Uh, kind of a, a little tease at something called the main show on the main channel, but uh, with Team Quest, you know Matt Lindland, Dan Henderson, and a uh, family friend of mine, former uh, rest in peace Evan Tanner, and um, Randy Couture. Randy Couture was Team Quest, yeah. You know, and then he had a huge run. His dream, Extreme Couture, had a great run. I think that's Team know. Couture is still doing really well. Yeah, they're kind of coming back, which is fantastic. Well, look you what know, they did AK. with Francis. Yeah, they made Francis go from like, oh, you're a really fun commodity to you're the best. They're the baddest dude on the planet. It's very exciting. Yeah. Um, but shoot a box is what, what isn't what they used to be, but they have definitely turned around from their dark period. You know, something I hate being this guy. The, the other big ones of that era, like Brazilian top team and Nova Uniao which had a good run in like the with the lower weight classes with Aldo and Hinn and Brown. They never really got to that level where Shootabox has come back. So I would love to see Shootabox kind of come back because there was a long like idea that King's MMA took all the best Shootabox people and made it their own when they had Verdum. Vanderlei was doing better and is kind of a small resurgence. Um, so here with Rafael Cordero, Rafael Cordero and all that. But Shooter Box has been doing good lately, and man, the Felipe dos Santos, twenty-two. Oh, this is a big step up for him. And if he, if he at least looks, if he at least doesn't get blown out, this could be huge for the division. I expect dos Santos to get a second chance, regardless of what happens. Yeah, um, I am picking Manel Cop to win this one. I think that jumping quality for a twenty-two-year-old is just going to be too high for Felipe. With that being said. I will say if there's one division I feel that you can sort of come from the regional scene and break in immediately, I'd probably say it's flyweight because that was what um, I think Steve Ersig, I think that's his name, mm. he did that against David Devora, got the win, and he's got himself into the rankings. Yeah, yeah, you know it. The that's what's awesome about flyweight is uh, I'm gonna say that I I do think the best flyweights are in the UFC. You know, it's not like other divisions where it's like, okay, definitely the UFC has the best of it. Flyweight, I think there's a little bit of an argument in other places, but I think it's de- I think it's the best here. But flyweights are good around the world. Yeah. You know, like Hovaguchi. Yeah, I would kill for him to be back in the UFC. Yeah, I want him back so bad. But yeah, we will uh, reminisce about we will sort of mourn the uh, flyweights who are not in the UFC. And while we do that, we're going to be jumping, what, 140 pounds and talking about the heavyweights again. It's our core main event as Tai Tuavasa takes on Alexander Volkov. Tuavasa comes into this one plus 160, so he's the underdog. Up against Alexander Volkov, you can get a plus, uh, minus, I should say, 215. Now, I'm going to start this by asking quite a, quite a probing question to open up this segment of the show. In hindsight... Was beating Derek Lewis a bad thing for Tai Tuavasa's career? Because now, because obviously he gets that win, I think he was, what, 11 or 12 at the time he fought Derek Lewis, fighting number three. He gets the big win. A lot of people are like, oh my God, Tai Tuavasa just did that to Derek Lewis. But since then, because he's now number three in the world, 
he's now having to fight the civil guards, the Sergei Pavloviches of the world, fighting guys that maybe are just a little bit above his talent level. No disrespect to Taito Avasa. I, I don't think it is because, I mean, it made him a star, you know? Like, he's probably the second biggest star in that division right now to, like, casual fan bases. Everyone knows him as, oh, that's the big guy who, like, with the drink drinks shoe. from the shoe. Yeah, he drinks from the shoe, you know? Uh, he has a, yeah, you know, he's kind of an, uh, an odd body on him. Like the muffin topping guy that drinks a shoey. I'm muffin topping too, buddy. Don't worry. Me and me and me and Tai Tui boss are same, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, it, it's. I think it probably helped him out, made him a good amount of money. Something that doesn't happen too often in the sport, because certain people don't pay very well. But you know, um, but man, it's probably not too good on his uh, on his health, physical health. Because that Cyril Gon fight is a barn burner, and he took punishment in that fight. He did, like, especially to the body. And I will say, you know, like, uh, maybe some people might think I'm a little bit critical about Taito Avasa, about, but, like, his performance against, like, Pavlovich and Garn. Now, the Pavlovich one, I'll, obviously, Sergei Pavlovich is who he is. He just blows people out the window in the first round. Mm. But he managed to cork Cyril Garn. So, like, evasive striking extraordinaire of the heavyweight division. That'll probably come back to haunt me because this is going out after Fight Night Paris. But he cooks <laughs> Civil Guard into a brawl. Like and he, then he got the best of Civil in that fight. Uh, Cyril Gunn admits he got KO'd in it. He goes, I don't remember. And I'm like, what? He goes, you remember getting knocked down? How'd you react? I don't remember getting knocked down. And they told me I did, so I'm assuming I did. And I'm like, oh, so you got knocked out. Oh, that's crazy. That fight's awesome. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of um, Rich Franklin and Vanderlei Silva's second fight, where Rich Franklin openly said, like, when you got knocked down, he goes, no, I got knocked out. I don't remember the last, like, I only remember the last round. And they told me, hey, you won a five-round decision. Cool, how? Uh, haunting stuff. Uh, terrifying sport we have, but... Um, that fight's so good. Oh, God, now I'm thinking about that fight. I, I was so happy I got to rewatch it for this i saw I was like going oh this card doesn't look very good but i get to rewatch this card this fight again um he he forces the brawl and if he can't do it and he can't catch you he does struggle like because remember he had that really rough patch he lost to your boy blagoy even off um the santos just caught him in blagoy's best it... ufc fight i should point that out yeah, and uh, also on the Retro Review series where um, he choked him after the bell. Uh, hey, you know, I, I, I did I, I totally spaced that that happened until I watched it again. Um, but, uh, you know, he beat, and I think it was Alir Latifi? Was he the third man? No, the third man was Hulk Hogan, but... <laughs> I know that one got you. It was uh, Spivak. Yes. Spivak, arm triangle, though. Yeah, I thought, I thought Alir Latifi was the third man. And a lot of but... people gave two of us a hell after that Spivak loss. And, and so Spivak's turned just... into a pretty good fighter. In hindsight, that has aged incredibly well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Spivak, the guy who beat Cyril Gaunt. See, we got to cover all the bases yes. here. we got to cover all the bases. Um, yeah, I, I think... 
still make myself laugh. Um, I think, I think he's good. I think he's like probably going to be that like top six, seven gatekeeper. Uh, as much as I would love a tie to Ivasa title reign, I just don't see it happening. You don't realize um, how close we were to getting John Jones versus Tai Tuivasa UFC 285. Could have actually, you know, we almost did it realistically almost have it. And but like I, I don't I don't think we're going to see it sadly. Uh, I mean cuz like in Gone, that's just a rough matchup for him. That's just a really rough matchup for him. Cuz I remember at the time it was, I think they were like back-to-back weekends. It was Aspinall and Blades and gone to Ivasa. And I was like, oh, that feels awkward. I feel like it should have been Aspinall to Ivasa versus gone Blades. Yeah, because because um, with that, you would have tested Sybil's grappling. Because we know Curtis yeah. Blades going to try and take it to the ground. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. You know, because it's like, oh, well, how does he, has he learned from when Nganu showed off that his uh, his last name was in Ng- uh, Nganu <laughs> uh, Dagestani Nganu or uh, you know or, or D1 he called him D1 Nganu and it was like oh like how does he fare from that I will say you I just want to I just want to go on I just want to go onto a tangent here because obviously mm-hmm. like I was one of the people it, it's a shame like I actually read that the pay-per-view numbers for Nganu versus Garn weren't that great. But I was one of the people who was really psyched for this because I thought here are two sort of heavyweight fighters. You've got like Cyril, who is sort of more of a technician and the sort of brute power of Francis. And there's this shot that one of the cameramen caught where it's Francis going in for the takedown. In fact, Cyril's right up in the air and you can see the faces of everyone in the crowd. And I know part of it's just probably, whoa, Francis with the takedown. I like to see it more of, oh my God, Francis is wrestling. <laughs> I love reactions of, of crowds and specifically Dana White during fights when it's his boy getting beat. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, that fight, I, I did not know it didn't do that well because that fight was huge for me. I did. I mean, I built a whole that video. Awesome. I built a whole video around sort of like this is how far heavyweights come. I did about like sort of like the Tim Sylvia era of heavyweight. Sort of frame it around this yeah. is how good it is now, and I'll oh, look how far we've come. Man, Ngannou was awesome. He would have killed John Jones. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Had to throw that out there. Had to throw that out there. Uh, so John if- Jones ducked him. Not Let's totally. try and get but, this back uh, on track. This fight, though, is good. Yeah. This fight's good, though. Uh, this fight's very good. I think, you know, I, I, I mean, I would have loved that uh, tied to Ivasa Aspinall fight if it happened. But um, speaking of Tom Aspinall, that's where a guy, he, Tom Aspinall, shocked the world. And, you know, my debut on the channel <laughs> um, is the Volkov. Yes, good to get us back on track here. Uh, So, yeah, we're going to talk about Alexander Volkov here. Now, 36-10 and record for a guy who is, I believe, what, 33 years old? So that's a lot of mileage, especially at heavyweight for Alexander Volkov. So notable wins when it comes to um, his career. You've got people like uh, Jarzino Roisenstrike, uh, Tabura, 
Uh, Alistair Overeem. I think that was Overeem's last fight before leaving the UFC. Also has wins over Vadoom, yeah, he... Hugh Struve, Roy Nelson, Tim Johnson. And if we go outside the UFC, he was the first guy to beat my boy, Blagoy. And also has a win over mm. Rico Rodriguez, the former UFC champion. Oh, yeah. He has a, a very interesting history. Because um, he was at one point, you know, uh, he beat like Brett Rogers uh, and stuff like that over because he was Bellator's heavyweight champion for a while. And I remember he had a fight with, uh, was it Mighty Mo? I'm looking for it. Uh, Czech Congo. Was it him that he had kicked Mighty Mo? No, he, he, he yeah, Czech Congo wrestled him down. Yeah. But I thought he head kicked Mighty Mo. Maybe I'm crazy. I thought he did. Apologies. Could be lying to me, though. But, you know, he came into the UFC with, like, not a ton of fanfare, and then he beat for Doom, and it just blew up. You know, I thought. And uh, then his next fight after that. Um, well, he won, I will say. I, he dominated 14 minutes of it. But uh, he's super good still. Like, he is such a... He's a good hand, you know. He's that Billy Gun. He's like a better good hand, you know. He's he. I would I would not put him on, uh, like I think I'd say he's better than that Val Venus level. He's more like daddy ass Billy Gun, badass Billy Gun. <laughs> <laughs> I had to call him daddy ass. Um, uh, he came back Sunday as badass Billy Gun. He wasn't daddy ass. He was badass Billy Gun Sunday. But anyways. Uh, he's really good, and he he poses an an interesting kind of foil to Taito Ivasa. This matchup's actually pretty fun, yeah. um, because Volkov is really good at using his length to wear his opponents out, and then he kind of just pounces and gets that kill. Like against Overeem, he's just wearing him out with boxing and keeping him out. A lot of snap kicks, trying to wear him out and stuff any big attempts that at over at getting offense. And then eventually he just, because, you know, it's heavyweight. Everyone hits really hard at heavyweight. He just eventually put him out. You know, uh, Walt Harris, who was super awesome for a short period of time, uh, was this guy who should have been fighting at 205, but was so fast at heavyweight that he just stayed there. Uh, and he kept Walt Harris out and just kept kicking him with snap kicks up the middle. No double leg after, but... Um, snap kicks up the middle and just teeps all the time and eventually wore him out and finished him that way. I think it was up the middle with a kick from a body shot. But then he just kind of wears you out and, you know, eventually beats you, kind of similar to what Gone was doing to, to Ivasa. And so I think what makes this interesting, though, is has to Ivasa improved enough to that level to to punish that style you know can he land on that chin again can you know because he did crack gone he just couldn't finish him yeah uh but could he do that to volkov similar to what Derek lewis did maybe and we've seen interesting. and we've seen in the past as well how volkov i think one of volkov's big weaknesses is the overhand right it's what Derek lewis put him out with mm -hmm. and we have seen other fighters catch him using that method as well one of the things I like about Volkov, I I think Volkov's too good to be a boy, but he's always been a heavyweight fighter yeah. I have always respected. Um, I think he's one of the yeah, few fighters in this weight class who 
I think he can use his reach advantage. Because that was always a big criticism that people had with Stefan Struve. Was Struve was a seven foot fighter who didn't know he was seven foot. I think Volkov knows he's what, mm-hmm. six nine, six ten, and utilizes it very well. I like as well that Volkov was always seen to me as always quite gangly. But these days mm-hmm. he's proper filling out his heavyweight frame. And with that has come a lot more power. So now he's finishing guys nowadays. Um, I think this is a really good litmus test for how good Taito Avasa is. If Taito Avasa still wants to be seen as an elite heavyweight, he's got to beat guys like Volkov. Because I've got a list here of the guys who've beaten Volkov Absolutely. in the UFC. Derek Lewis, Curtis Blades, Sewell Garn, Tom Aspinall. Four guys that were, uh, you know, top one guys, you know, number one contenders at some point. You know, Tom Aspinall will be one day. We kind of know that's coming. You know, I think for a lot of us are very aware of that. And um, at least predicting that, I should say. Not aware of it, but predicting that is probably better better verbiage. And so you, you have to be one of the best to beat him. Could Taito Ibasa make this big comeback? I mean, uh, one thing I'll say about what I like about this fight is... Um, it's very Taito Ivasa is like an improvement on the old school heavyweight of, oh, I'm just gonna get in there and throw some bombs and a kick you really hard if I can, but just crack you with pure brawling power. And Volkov is, and I hate this term because I feel like it disrespects a lot of the division, but it is accurate. Uh, the he's a skilled heavyweight. Yeah. You know, he relies on his technique and skill rather than his God-given power or attribute, physical attributes. And I think that's kind of an interesting inverse of each other, you know. So it's definitely going to be an interesting one because, you know, Pavlovich and Gone I would consider skilled. And that was two Ivas' last two fights, so. I'm very interested to see what the clinch battle is going to be like in this fight. Because that's somewhere I feel that both fighters, they can find strength in. I think Volkov's clinch game, with the way he throws knees and elbows, I think that's something that he's got a lot better at recently. Um, and tied to Avarta, mm-hmm. um, this is probably the only time I'll ever compare the two. You know how Leon Edwards gets so much praise for the way that he's able to throw elbows in the clinch, especially when he's like coming coming out the clinch, he'll throw the an elbow. And... Taito Avasa does the same thing. I think his elbows is one of his biggest strengths. And a lot of people don't acknowledge that. That's when he KO'd uh, Lewis. Yes. Yeah, he KO'd Lewis with the elbow on the on the break from the... Because he hurt him, Lewis tied up, and he pressed Lewis against the cage. And then on the break, he elbowed him, cracked him clean. And, uh, like, sadly, welterweights, just, they just don't have that kind of crazy power. They do it heavyweight. Or Leon Edwards would have a thousand elbow KOs like that. Um but Taito Ivasa, you know, he's got elbow KOs like that. And that's a very good point. I never thought about that, but uh, how the clinch would go. Because they're both active there. Uh, one's active during the clinch, and Tuivasa's incredibly active on the break. So, and very interesting. It's going to be an interesting fight. I think we've got two strikers here. Both mm-hmm. with very sort of conflicting sort of ways that they, they approach the striking. Volkov being much more of a technician, mm-hmm. Ty being the big power puncher. Which style is going to pay off? Who are you picking to win this one? I have to go with the philosophy of skill here. I'm going to go with Volkov. 
I love both these guys. I'm a big fans of both of them. Uh, so I hate the fact that there has to be a winner, but uh, I think I think he's going to do to him what Derek Lewis he did to Derek Lewis for the most part. Um, Alistair Overeem, Verdum, all these others, where he uses the length and breaks him down slowly. And I don't think it'll beat him. I don't think he'll punish him as hard as the punishment he took in the Gone fight. But I think he will get a probably a, a third round, maybe second round finish. I could see because he does have that power. He's getting much more finishes. I'm going to pick Volkov to win this one, and I'm going to go by decision. I mean, there's going to be moments where Volkov could potentially hurt Ty. It's all like, oh, he's up against the fence. Can Ty survive? That sort of thing. And Ty's still able to persevere. Um, but I am going to pick Volkov to win this one. I, I'm, I'm still high on Volkov. I understand. Yeah, I, I'm very much the same way in, in the, of the opinion. I think we have the same opinion on this fight. Uh, that said... Man, what if Ty does it? Like, I don't know. I hate that there has to be a winner here. Matchmaking's hard. Yeah. That's why I want to do it. <laughs> Let me do it, UFC. Come on. Well, they, they did I'm that the whole sort of... Um, they did that whole sort of become a UFC matchmaker for the day, that sort of uh, prize pot thing, didn't they? Yeah. I I uh, I like to think that um, it's like, all right, you can only... You get to choose uh, this fight card with these available fighters. And it's like, uh, the main event, Andre Arlovsky versus Jake Collier 5? Tough luck, kid. <laughs> Tough luck, you goof, you know? Because I, I know they get the opportunity to, um, like, sort of, like, book, like, uh, like join, like, Sean Shelby McMahon for, like, a matchmaking event. And it'd be like, you can pick mm. who Priscilla Cachuera's next opponent is. <laughs> Valentina Shevchenko. <laughs> oh, <laughs> The rematch we should have, the rematch we've all wanted. You think, you think you're, you're special? special? <laughs> it's the way to do it. It's the way to do it. Like, that's how I imagine it. Like it's like you get to pick the opponent for this next person, and it's like, oh, I'm trying to think of somebody. Priscilla Cachoeira was the perfect name, honestly. Uh, like it really is. It's like, uh, okay. Um, that's that's what it feels like. I I don't I don't believe them that they're gonna give me full power if I won that. Yeah. Because I know what the first fight I would do is. And I would do, is... like okay, Alex Alex Bejeda versus Conor McGregor. <laughs> oh, oh. I don't know why either. It is time for us to talk about our main event of the evening, and we are going down to the middleweight division. Israel Adesanya is back in action, of course, being from New Zealand. It's appropriate that he's fighting it down under again. But it's not against the opponent that a lot of people thought it was going to be. Because UFC 290, they had the match between uh, DDP and Robert Whittaker. And it was very much framed that the winner of this one would be fighting Israel Adesanya at UFC 293. Rickus Duplessis won that fight. But the turnaround was too quick for him. So... UFC needed a short notice replacement, and it's Sean Strickland, the king of the apex, who is stepping in for this one. Bookmakers, though, not giving Strickland much of a chance. A plus 425 underdog. Israel Adesanya comes in at minus 650. So we'll start by framing this question in this way, Joe. Given that the UFC, and given that the fan base knew 
that UFC 293 was going to be headlined by Adesanya. Why was Whitaker versus Duplessis booked three months before? Um, I I have a theory. Okay, what if they fully like like ninety? I would say ninety percent of people on the planet expected Rob to win, and this was their way of going. You can fight him again, sure, on short notice. And stop asking for the title shot because he, you know, Rob has like kind of similar situation to Max Holloway where they're just going to keep it, at least until DDP did it, they were just beating everybody, you know? So I guess endless rematches with the champ, city, the city kickboxing champion. And so that's kind of what I think, or a more fun one for me. Is to uh, is to just say that I should be matchmaking for him. <laughs> I love that conspiracy yeah. theory though about wanting Bob to win because you could also make the argument that the UFC likes Sean Strickland mm-hmm. and they want to try and justify him fighting for a belt because he knows obviously he's going to talk a big match up, he's going to generate a lot of views and that sort of thing. And given the choice between Whitaker who's lost to Adesanya twice, or a fresh face in Sean Strickland, more people would be thinking, no, I want something different. Yeah. We've been saying it a lot, you yeah. know, all this entire card. And so Sean Strickland is something different. Whether uh, different is good. Di- he's a very different kind of person. Um, I know a lot of people like Sean Strickland in real life being from Oklahoma, I will say. And... It's very funny seeing a guy I feel like I graduated high school with talking like that on the UFC. It's hilarious. Um, but he is definitely different. I think one of the things this situation's also done as well is it's it's made people realize the change that the UFC have taken in terms of like booking title fights. Because it used mm-hmm. to be once upon a time where if the UFC had the match to book in the weight class. They would hold off until both fighters were ready and then do it, like, at that point. Because a lot of people remember, like, Robbie Lawler versus Carlos Condit was supposed to headline 193 in Australia, the 60,000 card. But both of them picked up injuries, and rather than having Lawler fighting some random guy on short notice, they waited until Condit was ready and then did that fight in January. And of course, yeah. it ended up being one of the best fights of the year. Nowadays, the UFC seem to take this approach of the trains leave the station on time, regardless of how full they are. Israel Adesanya is headlining in Australia, regardless of who it's against. Yeah, that's just kind of how it is. And it doesn't, it doesn't help the fact that Izzy's team, also his coach specifically, um, is really big on like pushing narratives himself like so he he had a statement recently where he said like now ddp has in the back of the line you tough luck this ain't for you get out you're in the back of the line now time to climb your way back up to the title and it, it's just who are you <laughs> that's all i can ever think it's who are you again i was looking nah. at sus there 
Uh, his, don't, don't don't go yeah. there, girlfriend. Uh, yeah, he's very much a uh, very much a diva search circa two thousand five. Um. Doc, yes. <sighs> my one of my favorite eras of wrestling, ruthless aggression, I will say. But uh, yeah, it, it it's um, he, he. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't. Some, there's something about this fight. I'm gonna say I. So. In, in other sports, um, I've been watching a lot of, like, this series on YouTube called NBA Open Court where they have legends or people or, and veterans of the NBA uh, talk about, like, just talk about topics and stories. And uh, they, they talked this week about it's, – it's an old episode. It's a really old series. But they were talking about the nights where you just have an easy night just to pad your stats and, uh, like, well, how they would kind of prepare for it and stuff like that. That's kind of the vibe I get with this one. Is this seems like we're here to pad Izzy's stats and help push the narrative the UFC kind of has for Izzy. Which is that he's going to be the greatest ever at middleweight. And I think there, in my opinion, there's a very valid argument for him being there. Um, I, 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 I put two people above him currently. Uh, one of them being Rich Franklin, the other one I'm ashamed to say, because uh, he lost his last fight. So I'm just gonna hide behind this. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, that's kind of the narrative they want to push. It's kind of like with with Usman. You know, they were pushing really hard that he was the greatest welterweight ever because they don't like George St. Pierre. Um, and I feel like that's what this fight is here for to help kind of boost that. Like, look at how many title defenses he got against the loud trash talking and mind game playing Sean Strickland. I should also point out as well, the reason Jaw is listing them two is you you disqualify people who pop the steroids, oh. so you don't include Anderson. Yeah, it's a very good one. Yeah, I, I should have specified that for. I don't count Anderson. Ever, Anderson is probably it for a ton of people, but if you've popped hot in your career at once, I have to question every fight they've ever had. So th- that kind of negates you, you know? It, and, uh, like... John Jones, we've mentioned him a couple of times. John Jones has popped hot many times. Uh, I now wonder if he's ever had a fight where he wasn't able to lift up uh, Tito's head with one arm. Like I have to, I have to question that, and like I, I just, I just don't want to. It, it's just too much for uh, for your history and legacy. I think. Um, so I like Rich Franklin. I, I have above him, um, and Dan Henderson. I think could probably get up there too, but there wasn't enough. For me personally, I think of it more as two hundred five, but uh, yeah, you know, this is um, this is a weird one. Like, it's really weird matchmaking. I- I'm of the belief they should have done the Robbie Lawler Carlos Condit thing, and waited until DDP was ready. Yeah, because because at this point we're giving title shots to people, just anybody. It feels like, and I feel like that demeans a title a little bit. It devalues it. Sadly, it, it really doesn't, but it does in the moment, right? Like, in the long term, does this devalue the title? Not at all. But for now, it's going to feel like it a little bit, you know? Especially if a guy like Sean... Spoiler alert, I'm not picking him. Sean Strickland wins. It's like, oh. Okay, so now what? Like, it just kind of... I feel like you're playing a dangerous game. And I have this saying... When it comes to doing stupid things in life and why I won't do it is, like, if I don't want to lose, why play the game? You know, and I, the UFC is kind of playing this game. 
So we'll talk about our two participants in a little bit more detail here. We'll start off with our champion, Israel Adesanya, a 24-2 record. Uh, notable wins on his resume include Derek Brunson, Anderson Silva, Kelvin Gastelum in one of the best fights over the past five years. Also, Yoel Romero, Paulo Costa, two wins over Marvin Vittori, two wins over Robert Whittaker, Jared Kananea, and... For a lot of people, maybe not so much in terms of what he achieved in the sport, but in terms of what it meant to Adesanya, Alex Pereira. Mm-hmm. You, I think uh, I think you had a mistake there. You said two wins over. Yes, yes, I knew you were going to bring this up. You you strongly believe Whitaker won the second fight. I watched that fight this week, and every time I've watched it, about like five six times, I still score it the same way. I may, I'm also incredibly biased. Robert Whitaker is Robert <laughs> yeah. Whitaker is one of my favorites ever. Yeah. So. Personally, I'm always of the belief that it's okay for people to have biases, but mm-hmm. you can't try and let your biases sort of sort of blur how you think a fight's going to go. So like yeah. if you're like if I was saying, oh, I don't like Nunes, so I think Aldana's going to whip her. That's that may not yeah. doing my job. Mm. I it's a uh, I, I think my approach to it is. I just admit it so everyone – because at the end of the day, a prediction isn't a factual statement. It's an opinion. Yeah. And um, and opinions can be influenced. So I openly admit my bias when I feel like it could play a factor in something. So people understand how I came from – how I got to point A to point B in a sense to kind of give some insight. Um, that said, it was a clean sweep, absolute domination by Bob in that fight. <laughs> And, uh, you know, uncrowned champ, DDP's champ. So let's take, our, let's take ourselves back to April here. So we have that mm-hmm. fight against Alex Pereira. And a lot of the narrative going into that one was Pereira being 3-0 because there's a lot of people who sort of... Um, a lot of people take on board the kickboxing fights. Um, and there was a real divided opinion, I feel, in the aftermath of that fight. Because there was a lot of people who, they sympathized with Adesanya. They saw this guy mm-hmm. who was hounded by Pereira for almost the past decade. And to see Izzy finally getting that revenge. There was a lot of people thinking, yes, good for you, well done. And a lot of people have thought, oh God, this fool has got his belt back. Where do you personally lean? Like, Izzy is a divisive figure, especially in this day and age. I'm actually in the middle because uh, I, I I understand having having that guy uh, like a, a, I'm not gonna go too into it, but I a friend of mine uh, we we did a memorial to him and uh, like an, an honor of a dedication to him in uh, the first ever retro review plug go watch it it's great um, and um, in the my friend Ants he made a joke once to me and it's always kind of stuck with me. That uh, he goes, if it's like you're like the second best at everything you do, like in all our hobbies, you know, I wasn't ever the best in this competitive fighting game or this competitive fighting game or in competitive card game, which I I, I got really good and was almost paid to play professionally at. uh, I always felt like there was my friend him was better than me. Uh, And so I, I definitely understand having that monkey on your back, kind of that number, that guy always looming over you and kind of creating that so I simply I empathize with that very much so and I also uh 
I, I understand a lot of the disrespect and hate he was getting because of that, you know, uh, like, you know, he made Pajeda's kid cry, which is hilarious. I'm going to be honest. That's funny because that's the same kid who, uh, when he got knocked out in kickboxing, who did the stiffened up and Masvidal fall in front of him to make fun of him to his face after he just got knocked out. That's really dirty for that little kid. Uh, if I would have gotten thwomped if I was that kid growing up, man. Oh, and uh, so him making that kid cry was kind of was honestly hilarious to me. I'll Is be honest. You making kids cry, yeah. bro? <laughs> that's my next. That's my OSW tattoo. I'm getting. Uh, you're making. You're making kids cry, Izzy, bro. Making kids cry, bro. Crush Izzy. Oh my god. <laughs> um, and uh, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it on the same on the same hand, I'm not a fan of Izzy. I can't act like I'm not. I find him to be v- very willing to be boring. And he is in the cage, he's very willing to be boring. So is George St. Pierre. That isn't enough to make me hate you or make me not hate but dislike you as a fighter. That's so, you know, uh, but he's also like really cringy. And just grinds my gears. Like, I feel like if he was, like, a person I knew in real life, like, that personality, I'd be like, man, I don't know how you guys hang out with that guy. That guy just annoys the hell out of me. I feel like I'd be doing that. Um, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I'm kind of in that middle. Because uh, he almost made me a fan and won me back over. Uh, then he shot an arrow at him as he was unconscious. And I was like, oh, that was weird. That was corny. Come on. Like, at least, you know, do the whole Tito Ortiz thing where you dig the grave. Like, that was always corny to me, but kind of funny. Yeah. Do you think that maybe... I think maybe that was because Tito had that element, especially later in his career, he had that element of cringe, that element of sort of corniness about him. Whereas, is he supposed to be the champion? He's the face of the middleweight division, and he's behaving like, like a stroppy teenager. Yeah, yeah. Um... I, I, you know, I mean, we, we mentioned this uh, before on the show, uh, how uh, uh, before we started recording, you know, uh, I brought up my tattoo and I'm saying I'm showing this now for, for reference. Uh, I have a tattoo of Persona 5 Royal uh, Persona 5. It's my favorite video game of all time. It is an anime video game, uh, but I hate weebs. And Izzy's a weeb. Like, he's like a big weeb. And that's uh, that's what makes this press conference going to be so funny. Is Strickland's going to, like, just go at him. Like, the press conference is almost as interesting as the fight to me, admittingly. Like, you could tail the tape and put that on pay-per-view. And I might actually, like, be tempted. Uh, but um, that said, uh, yeah, he, he's like a weirdly grating guy. And, you know... That and I, I think a lot of us, pro wrestling fans in particular, felt disrespected by him walking out as the Undertaker, and then putting on one of the worst title fights in like the last couple months. Because a couple months before that, you know, Rose Carla I think happened, or maybe it was after. <sighs> Rough year for title fights uh, when you think about that. But also that same year had like Yuri and Glover, so I guess it balances out. But you know. It was like, ah. Well, I had, and he's, he's really divisive. I had money on uh, Carla winning that fight, so I don't hate it as much as other people do. I think you and me both picked Carla, so we, you know. I hate it because I watched it twice for the recap. You're welcome. You're welcome, guys. 
like I watched it twice for the recap. Uh, it was horrible. <laughs> Why did I do that to myself? So we might have criticisms of Israel Adesanya as the person. There's mm-hmm. no criticizing Israel Adesanya, the fighter, though. His fighting yeah, style might absolutely. not be the most flashy, especially when he there's a little bit of Tim Sylvia about him in that when he's chasing the belt, he's a lot more aggressive. He's a lot more willing to take chances. But when he has the belt, he does play it a little bit safe. And I'm the first to admit that. With that being said, though, very talented fighter. Incredible. Incredible talent. Um, he's one of the few guys that came into the UFC as just a striker and made it work. Like, it's kind of cool seeing that come back because that hasn't really been a thing in years, you know? Uh, you see guys, you know, get close to winning titles as just re- grapplers, you know? Like, Habib could kind of strike a little bit, but he was mostly just, just grappling. I'm just going to wrestle you. and um, But you never really see that as strikers. It's kind of It was kind of awesome for a little bit. Um, he's very smooth, very technical. Um, like, flashy, not really, but he's very smooth, so it kind of gives that illusion of, like, it feels like he doesn't put a ton of effort, very effortless moving at times. And uh, it's kind of hypnotic, I guess you could say. Um, but, like I said earlier, he's willing to be boring, you know? he's you, Sometimes people are willing to bite down on that mouthpiece and let it rip, you know? Uh, happy early retirement to or happy retirement to Korean Zombie, one of the best guys to ever do it like that. Some guys are just happy to be boring, or they're they're willing to loosen up on that mouthpiece and just be boring, kind of play it safe. And Izzy's one of those guys. You know, it's not necessarily too fun at times, but he wins. You know. So let's talk about his opponent going into this fight, Sean Strickland, twenty-seven and five record. A lot of those did take place at welterweight, though. I think he's only ever had two losses as a middleweight, especially in the UFC. I'm going to mm-hmm. open up by asking this question: What, in your opinion, is Sean Strickland's best win in terms of name value and in terms of performance? Oh, that's hard. Um... My brain says Jack Hermanson, um, but I also feel like I thought he beat. If I remember right, I don't. I, if I remember right, I think I thought he beat Jared Cannonier initially, because I, re- I rewatched that fight this week and I scored it for Cannonier, I believe. But I forgot what my initial reaction was to it. Um, interesting. I. I, I guess it would be Hermanson. Well, for me, it's either between Hermanson or, in terms of performance, Brendan Allen. My yeah, po- my point. That's, that's it. That one's wins aged pretty well. My point is though is that I think Sean Strickland is a solid fighter. You can sort mm-hmm. of understand why he's given the sort of pedestals he has, but I don't think his claim to a title fight is all that strong because it's a two-fight winning streak, beating. Imarvov and then Abus Magomedov, who his UFC career was 13 seconds before that fight. And what UFC have seen that and thought, yes, that's enough to give Sean Strickland a chance to become the baddest 185 on the planet. Yeah. His resume isn't solid. Um, he is just in the limelight a lot because he does fight in a lot of five rounders. He uh, He's popular because he talks too you know a very controversial talker as well yes uh, and uh, 
<laughs> just a ridiculous human being. Um, it's hilarious. <laughs> like I, 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 I almost think it's a character. Then you go, no, he's real. He's this crazy. But he, he just, it's, it's so weird. Like he, I don't know if it's matchmaking, but, or, or what? Cause he lose like, you know, the cannoneer, cannoneer is a very good fighter, but he's two and oh, or he's one, two straight and he's getting the title shot. Such an odd situation. Like, honestly, even though Kananea had that one-sided loss against Izzy, I think Kananea, doing what he did to Marvin Vittori, puts him higher up the pedestal, the pecking order, than Sean Strickland, in my yeah, personal opinion. I think so, too. I think so, too. You did make a good point, though. Yeah, I'll let you go first. Oh, no, yeah, because he... Yeah, okay. I, for my brain instantly for a split second, I was like, oh, yeah, he finished Vittori. I was like, oh, no, he didn't. But he did beat him. Pretty, pretty there rough. was a that, what that was like a 50 43 or something like that it was one-sided yeah. massive stomping you did make a good point though mentioning before like i think a big reason why the ufc are making this fight is because of that press conference and because sean strickland is willing to talk the talk even if the sort of like his sort of walk the walk doesn't keep up with the pace of his mouth if yet there's some analogy in there somewhere yeah. going on and yeah, his sort of, uh, his mouth his mouth writes a check, his butt isn't cashing. You know, that's the one. We'll use that one. Yeah. My point yeah. is though is that we're seeing this a lot more when it comes to the UFC in terms of the fighters there putting a shine on. Now the UFC has always been counterculture. It's always been sort of like us against the world. We're against the system. Even back into the days when John McCain was trying to close it down. I think the UFC, for whatever reason, are being a lot more blatant in this sort of counterculture. And we're seeing this with the way that, like, Sean Strickland is headlining pretty much every single Apex card because he openly caused controversy. Colby, Colby Covington is getting a title shot because he openly caused controversy. Juliana Pena, same thing's going to happen. She's going to jump right back into a title fight. Are you liking this trend from the UFC that they're sort of openly going for people who are riling the fan base up? No. Uh, we talk a lot about pro wrestling here. Yes. You know, because we're, we're both pro wrestling fans. And we, we openly acknowledge how 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 they're they're not they're not like siblings, but they're cousins sports to each other. They're t- there's there's a there's a connection between the two. But at the end of the day, despite the connections and the references we make and all the jokes and stuff, this isn't pro wrestling. In professional wrestling, there's a guy like Roman Reigns can go unbeaten or whatever for like five, ten years because someone decided that's going to happen. Uh, Whereas here, I feel like in a sport where meritocracy is winning and losing, not just you know, other factors in and how much people like you and stuff. It's, it should be meritocracy based. I, I don't like this idea of the UFC pushing fighters that just talk, you know, uh, I, I'm going to bring him up because, uh, you know, he's currently champion somehow, <laughs> but Sean O'Malley lost a fight to Piotr Jan he won, technically, sure, but, you know. Um, 
And that was the only person at the time who was ranked that he fought. Um, and it's because he's talks and they protected him and they kept him. There's, there's a reason they never made the Patty versus Tapuria fight because they know they want to milk more out of Patty. You know, there, there's a reason Connor didn't fight wrestlers coming up until he was in the title picture. It's because they didn't want him losing, you know? Uh, and I think they're so willing to push these people who don't deserve things just because they talk, <clears throat> excuse me, just because they talk. Be uh, And I feel like it's because they're lazy. You know, we, yes. we talk about this often on the channel, uh, on the on the show specifically. We talk about it a lot. The UFC doesn't have very many stars right now. They uh, And... They haven't made a ton of new stars. And the reason for that is because they forgot their fight promotion and they don't promote fighters or fights, really. They just hope the fighters do it when that isn't their job. Their job is to make weight, not cheat, and win a fight or fight when try to win a fight. Like That's I their can, job. I can count on my, on my hand like the amount of fighters who... Have become big stars based on what they've done in cage it can happen like gsp was a big star anderson was a big star but you look at the length of the winning streaks those guys had to build to become superstars and if you don't have those sort of like long winning streaks you they're going to go for the guys who just talk, talk and big up themselves yeah got either, you either need to be a controversy magnet or talk because yeah. that's the only reason John Jones is a star is because he's a controversy magnet. Yes. Um, and Ander Anderson, I think, like, Anderson Silva, GSP, stars, but they had huge streaks and were legends in the sport until one popped hot. And he's still a legend. I'll, but he's just not. It's a whole thing. But, um, like, guys like Aldo. Dominic Cruz was actually kind of a star relatively, but not, like, mega big. Mighty Mouse. Um, guys... Mighty Mouse is the big one who at one point in time was the baddest dude on the planet, pound for pound. Um, guys like Robert Whitaker, you know. Um, Habib was a star because of the Connor touch and then the Connor connection and the controversy of him flying, stomping on Dylan Dennis, which is a fantastic picture. Uh, <laughs> um, but like guys like Tony was... Like an if you like hardcore fans loved Tony Ferguson to help his numbers out, but he was a kind of a talker as well and a contra controversy kind of a guy. Uh, Cowboy's like one of the few guys that probably was relative stardom for where he his level of success in the cage because casuals knew who Cowboy was, but he he wasn't really a talker. And the UFC actually pushed him because you know that's their guy. You know they they loved they loved yeah. Cowboy because he was always company man. Yes. Yeah. DC, company man. So either you're a company man and sucking up to the UFC and, and bailing him out of bad situations, or you talk, and that's like the only ways to get pushed. And I, I, I'm not a fan of it because it takes away from the meritocracy of things. Because in, in a perfect world, Sean O'Malley would have fought through, would have would had to have fought through guys like Sanhagen, Cheeto in a rematch. And like, oh God, God forbid, Marab. That would have been a crazy one. 
Um, and he probably, like, but you know, he, he kind of talked his way into what, you know, where he got to. And, uh, I mean, he won the belt credit to him for winning the belt, but his path there is where yeah. I criticize, right? You know, that's what I'm specifically saying here. I'm not just being salty. I'm criticizing his path there. Uh, I am salty, but that's besides the point. Uh, and, um, it, it, it's just so odd to me that we're leaning this way. And I think I hate being this guy, but I feel like it's hurting the sport a little bit because you and me on every preview show, I feel like we can't go a preview show without us going, and what are they doing? Like, this is so odd that they do X, Y, and Z and things, but maybe it's easy to criticize from the outside. So, and I will say as well, like the new generation of sort of like MMA heels, like there has always been bad guys and talkers in this spot. It's happened for years. Tito was doing it two decades ago. But I always felt there was mm-hmm. an element of fun, if you're in inverted commas. They like, love to hear characters. Chael could be really funny. Connor in his rise up the rankings yeah. was hilarious. And I feel yeah, like, in this, like these days, we don't even have fun heels. We just have guys who are trying to wind people up. Yeah. I mean, I think Strickland's funny because I've graduated to people just like him. It's like, oh my God, uh, like kind of thing. Um, but I'm the only person that probably finds him funny. Other people get very upset with him for very good reasons, I will say. Um, Henry Cejudo is cringy fun, but he's not really a heel. He's too, like, he's too good and respected, <laughs> you know? Because, like, he's he's the man. Like, it's a shtick you're doing. Like, you're awesome. You don't need to do this. But I'm glad you're doing it, I guess. It's kind of the vibe with him. But, like, Sean O'Malley just comes across as, like, like a very ignorant and self-absorbed man and it's really cringy and then there's like like patty i brought up patty seems like seems very self-delusional and and very like so you know and it, and it it winds people up that like that annoys us like you know, like we've had talkers in the past, you know, Tito Ortiz was one of the first good talkers in the sport, which shows you how far we've come. Uh, <laughs> shows you the dangers of CTE as well. I, I hate bring, I hate that aspect of it, but I will give him credit though. Had one of the best debuts in professional wrestling. The August the first warning. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Anderson's facial reaction is hilarious. Just the contrast of that, that face, and the crowd having no opinion whatsoever. Just dead silence, dude. The Tito Ortiz pop, man. Yeah. It's fantastic. Also, but, also, word of advice as well, before we move on to the next subject. If you get the chance, watch the Impact Wrestling promo. Because like Tito was going to fight Rampage in Bellator, and they cross-promoted on TNA. And they have like an in-ring sort of promo between each other and on the microphones, like, I'm going to kick your heart in and all that sort of stuff. It's the funniest thing. I, I, I'll, I'll add it even more. Watch, look at Tito's facial reactions when they reveal Justin McCauley. <laughs> Seven Bonner reveals Justin McCauley in Bellator. His face, he looks like he's so into it. And it's just the cringiest, awfulest thing I've ever seen. Uh... And it's priceless. <laughs> we'll try and get ourselves back on track here and actually talk about a pay-per-view main event, 
which sort of shows like we'd, we'd rather talk about Tito Ortiz and Bellator than we would about this fight. And so, complain about and complain about counterculture matchmaking. So yes. Yeah. We, we are we are much older like i'm what i'm 34 and i feel like i'm 50 just complaining about these young kids i'm i'm 29 and uh man i i complain about young kids every day of my life <laughs> so um, i think i think it's safe to say that a lot of people aren't giving sean strickland much of a chance here you look at the bookmakers odds it says a lot but a lot of people are expecting an adesanya win and a comfortable one at that is there any part of Sean Strickland's arsenal that makes you think he could have an opportunity to make this a little bit closer than people think? Not one weapon, but two weapons if used to comp- to work one use one to work the other and vice versa. And that's if he mixes his boxing his wrestling in with his boxing. I think if he's constantly jabbing, because he's a very much a volume boxer, right? If he's constantly jabbing, hopefully not getting hit with counters, um, constantly jabbing, putting the pressure, forcing Izzy to back up because it's really hard to kick off your back foot and make Izzy trade hands with you. When as soon as Izzy starts to like really sit down on his punches, you drop, change levels and try and mix things in that way. You, In theory, you could kind of control the fight that way. Uh, that's easier said than done against Izzy, who's very good. Um, but in theory, you could win the fight that way. Um, I, I think he hasn't done that in forever. He's so content with just like just boxing and letting it rip like that. And uh, I think if he really mixed in his wrestling ac- like acumen that he has with his boxing, I think we could... I think he would level up from it, admittingly. I've got a stat here about Sean Strickland, because you mentioned the uh, lack of willingness to grapple these days. In his... Mm. I've just got the note here. In his past 12 fights, Sean Strickland has gone for nine takedown attempts. Six of those came against Uriah Hall. And this was a guy who well, came from sense. a grappling base early in his career. Yeah. He was like an out-and-out wrestler. Yeah, that's wild. Just so he fell in love with his hands, you know, and I'm not saying anything bad about his hands, like, but, you know, come on kind of thing. It's, it's time for him to, I, I think, I think he needs to mix and match these. Yeah. Um, I do think he's going to be all pressure when it comes to Adesanya and that is something which I would be interested in. But one of Izzy's big strengths has been his counterattacks. And mm. I can see a situation where Strickland tries to press him up against the fence and Adesanya manages to get that counter and um, drop him and finish him on the ground. Finish him off. That's how yeah. you finish Pajeda. That's how he finished Pereira. And like, yeah. Izzy was willing to do that against a guy who we know carries a ton of power. Yeah. Against Sean Strickland, who's known as quite pillow-fisted. He's had Pillow a reputation hands. for not being able yeah. to finish people. I could... It, on paper, it's going to be a disaster. But we've seen plenty of uh, shocking things in the sport. And um, Izzy can't get complacent. I don't think any champion can ever be complacent and think that a title fight. Like, we we mock Sean Strickland. We've, we've mocked the yeah. idea of him fighting for this belt. But he's still a guy who's in the top five or top six of the UFC. And he's been given this opportunity. And 
some fighters rise to the occasion. They might not deserve the opportunity, but they take full advantage of it. Like TJ Dillashaw vs. Brown. No one thought Dillashaw deserved that fight and thought he was going to win. And we saw one of the biggest upsets of all time. I saw it live, and I, I will never forget that moment. That overhand right in the first round landed. Just stunning performance and upset like that. Unbelievable. So you never know. Things things happen. You know? A lot of people didn't say Rob had a chance to win the second Izzy fight and look at look at it now. <laughs> that's your opinion at two sixty nine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's that's my that's my I'm always gonna always gonna bring that one up. It's always gonna come back around if this guy's fighting. You know? That in a wine mom boxing. That one's always really funny to me. Yes. It, it beat it beat it beat the it beat the women's goat. That's all I'm saying. Like but, I don't know how it did though. Well, Penny never fought Ronda. Oh, <laughs> but but uh, but Ronda fought. <laughs> Ronda fought. Uh, uh, I can't bring that card up because we're not allowed to talk about it. Here. I just realized <laughs> that I like I like my job security. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, stranger things have happened in the cage. We have seen. Francis Ngannou turned into a Division One All-American. We have seen, um, you know, Mark Hunt and uh, Bigfoot Silva go 25 minutes of war back and forth when a lot of people thought it would be a first-round win or an early finish for uh, Mark Hunt. We have seen craziness. You never know. Like, yeah. I'm ne you can never be – you can never say 100% someone's going to win because it could end up – you could end up looking like me – who almost said 100% on Rob beating DDP. I thought that was the closest thing to a surefire bet. And I looked really stupid. <sighs> but then, last pay-per-view, I will say, you and me both picked Algerman Sterling, but we both called it exactly what would happen if he did lose, or how he would lose if he does. We yeah, called I, it exactly. I think my words were, I said, my gut says O'Malley. Yeah. He, we said he's going to rush in and do something stupid on the feet and leave himself open for a right hand. And we called it. You know, I'm not saying we're prophets or anything, but there is a reason this light is shining down so perfectly. I'm just kidding. We'll start, <laughs> um, we'll start sort of winding things up a little bit here. So you mentioned some of them there. We've had mm. Matt Sever beating GSP. Juliana Pena becoming champion. Dillashaw beating Burrell. Where would a Sean Strickland title win rank among the biggest UFC upsets? I think above Pena, but under GSP, Sarah, because that's still the craziest one ever to me. If you like, in hindsight, but you have to look at it at the time, right? Um, at the time it happened, you know, because Matt Serrett had a pretty good career after he lost. He dropped the belt back to GSP. He had, still had a pretty decent little career. But before that, you know, he lost, like, to BJ Penn was a lightweight. So he wasn't even fighting at his original weight class. He had to move up. He's 5'6". He's my height, you know. And like, it, it just so – that one, that one's still that's, – that's the greatest upset of all time to me. But uh, I think I would put that above – I think I'd put it above – Actually, I don't know. Maybe it's third. Because I think Pena Nunes, I still think about it now. And I just go, really? That's probably because of me bringing it up every single day. 
That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He, he doesn't bring it up that often. I just think about it sometimes when I'm depressed. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, no, it's like... That one's a wild one, too. That, that's that got to be number two. I don't think anything will ever top um, GSP Matt Sarah. I think the only way that could happen is, hypothetically, John Jones, Steve Miocic. I think the only way that would like surprise me more is if Stipe came out through a, a through a teep kick and a double leg and won the fight that way. I think that's probably the only way I'd be surprised more. But I don't I actually don't know. Um I think this would be third all time upset wise for me. Are you picking Adesanya to win this one? How do you think it's going to happen and when? <laughs> I think I think by decision, I think he lacks that killer itch to like really let it rip. If he like really let it rip, you know, like it's like Tim Sylvia. You know, Tim Sylvia was finishing guys on his way to the title and Izzy was finishing guys on his way up the rinks. Um I, I think that he definitely can let it rip. It's just kinda he's he's content with just chilling. Um and I think he's gonna just pick him apart for uh, for a while. And I don't think Strickland has the power to really put on the pressure. I think Pajeda, the reason Pajeda was able to put and have success putting pressure on him at times was the the power, of course, of Pajeda. Pajeda's the hardest hitter, pound for pound in the sport, probably. And Sean doesn't have that power. It's got to be a lot of volume, and Izzy's not, like, super hittable. Like, he's very good defensively with his head movement and counter-striking that he could, you know, it, it could be a lot of Sean running headfirst in the brick walls all night. Um, but I don't know if he'll finish him necessarily. Um, I'm, I'm going to go Izzy by decision. I'm very comfortable saying that. I'm going to say Izzy by decision as well. Um, I think it's going to be 50-45, maybe 149-46. Just that forward pressure might convince one of the judges to, to give Strickland one of the rounds. Um, it's going to be the judge that scored it for Cheeto in the Sanhagen fight, right? Probably, yeah. Like the, the, the athletic commissions just keep hiring the same people despite all the mistakes they make. Um, so yeah, I think Adesanya's going to win this one. It's going to be fairly comfortable. And you'd presume if Adesanya was to get by this one, it's going to be DDP next. I would hope so. Yeah. Because um, that fight... Obviously, I don't want to spoil my opinions on that matchup, but uh, uh, that fight's interesting to me because DDP is the best awful fighter I've ever seen. That's how I would say it, because he does not. Like, his style and how he fights, if you watch him, like, just take him out of it. Like, fighter A, fighter B, like those animations you see on Twitter, it's like, oh, this guy looks awful. This guy's number one contender, but he wins and finishes people. It, I mean... So I wonder if he's just going to use that funky style all the way to the top. Like, it's kind of interesting. Like, what's so. the TV trope uh, comment? Crouching moron, hidden badass. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something like that. Yeah. You know, it's like Homer, Homer Simpson, you know, kind of. I think he, I feel like he falls in that category. He had a heavyweight title shot. He boxing. did. Mm-hmm. It was disqualification, too. He didn't, he didn't technically he lose. He didn't technically lose, no. Mm-hmm, Yeah. He, he could be the baddest man on the planet. Don't look at the stats for that fight against Diedrich Tatum, though. No. <laughs> One punch thrown from Simpson, and it was a miss. I think he only threw, like, 40 punches his whole career, but he had that, like, uh, Rocky Marciano power. 
it's a fantastic episode it is i'm gonna go watch it after the show's over and i want to say thank you so much for tuning into what two hours of us withering on trying not to talk about ufc 293 we do appreciate your patience for doing so and we do have people who actually do listen to the entire show so a big thank you if you are one of those it certainly helps out the analytics before we wrap things up though we're going to try and do a little bit of spring cleaning here so joe we're hoping to have uh, not one but two retro reviews out because we were a little bit behind trying to get our wec uh, uh, out for september but we have got one which is planned now middleweight title is going to be on the line it's quite appropriate we're talking about a great middleweight champion we're covering an anderson silver card which one will it be it's going to be uh, i was hoping for 134 i believe but we got ufc 126 which is the infamous not infamous really it's just famous not infamous uh the famous front kick to the face that steven seagal taught him I've and got, uh, i've got the feeling most people chose that card because of the front kick yeah i mean uh i'm not i'm not saying anything disparaging or you know against their fans but i feel like uh what typically wins is the moments and highlights of of a card they don't choose the card for the whole shebang they choose it for the moment of the main event and uh which which is understandable i think that's the more i've kind of sit on thought about that that's very understandable um that said this card isn't like or 134 is a fantastic card that i wish one is what i'll say uh 126 though you know i mean that moment's so iconic i mean i definitely understand why you want to see me react and freak out over to it yeah i mean it's like the amount of artwork i've seen of that moment it, I can certainly understand why it was chosen. Uh, I personally yeah. wanted 134 as well, but I'm not going to fault the public. The, the customer is oh, always no. right, as it were. Yeah, and the customer loves me a lot. Did I mention that? Yes. Um, yeah, I was <laughs> but uh, yeah, 126, it's, it's also the cover for my fa- the bet, not even my favorite. We all know it's subjectively, if, you've, if you know, you know, objectively the best UFC game, video game of all time. Yeah, made by the guys who did... Uh, the really awesome WWE games back in the day. And yeah. also, and speaking of people who uh, love you, Joe, they'll also get the chance to see you again on the post-fight reaction, which should be online right now. You'll be talking mm-hmm. about Fight Night Paris, which is Garn versus Spivak. Either talking about Cyril returning to winning ways or potentially a new contender in the heavyweight division. Yeah, and if you, if you watch the whole podcast, you would know that uh, Carl has covered one base and I've covered the other. So we're both right. Yes. No matter what happens in this recording. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, and on that cheery note, I want to say a big thank you to uh, everyone who's tuned in for like this nearly two hours of us rambling on about nothing. Uh, this has been the INC. My name's been Carl Bainbridge. That's been Joe Neal. We hope you enjoy UFC 293 and we'll be back a little bit earlier than you expect because for the first time we are going to be covering a UFC fight night. The women's flyweight title is on the line. Will it be vengeance or vindication as Alexa Grasso takes on Valentina Shevchenko? This is the INC. Thank you for watching.